The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcast On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we're reviewing this past weekend's New Year's Golden Series shows and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store or prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus synchronizing parties and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, happy day after Valentine's Day. How you doing, man? I mean, when you're covering a product that's as hot as NJPW is right now. You know, the Golden Series just on fire. How could you be anything but stupendous? I don't, I don't know, man. The product is great. These shows have been wonderful. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's been great. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I share your enthusiasm for uh, for the show right now. But, um, you know, I'm glad to be on the air with you again, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a uh, good Valentine's Day? Oh my god, I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> Listen, okay, so here's the deal. Why are you laughing? I don't know. It's your response. <laughs> Pop me. <laughs> yeah, bro. Okay, so listen. So my girlfriend was like, um, you know, let's get some hot chicken, you know? Well, first she was like, let's see that movie Mary. Because uh, with Jennifer Lopez, like, we have AMC A-list. We go to the movies all the time. We've been seeing the uh, trailer for it, and Every not always, but every now and again, we'll go and watch a terrible movie that we know is terrible just for the sake of laughing at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. She was like, "Let's go see that Marry Me movie with uh, Jennifer Lopez that looks, you know, horrendous." And I didn't want to. And um, instead, 
luckily for us, we are Peacock subscribers, and we were blessed this past <laughs> weekend to be able to screen Marry Me from the comfort of, you know, the home. So uh, we, we watched that movie, and let me tell you, it, it is god-awful. I mean, it's really, 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 really bad. So I was glad we didn't go see that. Instead, she was like, you know what? Let's have a night in. We'll watch her favorite film, which is The Room. Have you ever seen The Room, Jeremy? I have not. Oh, my God. When I tell you it's the worst movie that has ever been made on, like, God's Green Earth, it is the worst movie of all time. (laughs) That being said, it is one of the greatest movies of all time. Like, literally, it's an unintentional comedy. Everything that happens in it makes zero sense. Like, uh, have you ever seen The Disaster Artist? No. Oh, man, Jeremy. Tommy Wazow, he's a visionary. You need to see this shit. It's incredible. <laughs> so we decided we decided to stay and watch The Room. That's kind of like her annual like tradition. She likes to watch The Room on Valentine's Day. And uh, she was like, let's get some hot chicken. And the closest Nashville hot chicken place, like 40 minutes away. And I was like, you know what? Can we do something else that's a little closer? She's like, all right, barbecue. And I was like, okay, I got that. So there's this place, Robert's Smoking Barbecue. Yes, I'm calling them out by name. Robert's Smoking Barbecue. Not the first one, but the second one, the holiday location. And I've tried to go there now two other times, and they keep changing the hours but not posting it online. So I looked it up. I knew they were open on a Tuesday. We're good to go. So I get there. Shit's closed down. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? I look at the sign. They changed the sign again. They're not open on Tuesdays now. So I'm like, you know what? Bump this. I'm going to the original Robert's Smoke and Barbecue in Port Ritchie because I know that that one is open every single day. And that's their like original location. It's supposed to have this incredible barbecue. I still have yet to, to try it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I drive all the way out there because I don't want to ruin Valentine's Day. You know, it's a very important task getting the barbecue. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not every day that we get good barbecue. You know, every now and again we'll get some sunnies or some pit boss, but that's lower tier. You know, I wanted to get real barbecue off the fucking pit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> five star barbecue. Yeah, the five star barbecue for Valentine's Day. You know, so I get there, pull in, and this woman's like, "Oh, sweetheart, I don't know what to tell you. Robert left for the day. He had to go do some chores. He had to do something for his lady friend. You know." We, we, we closed down for the day, and I'm literally astounded. Like, my mouth is like, <laughs> I'm not even saying words to her. Like, I didn't even say a, a thing. Had this man shook. Like, yeah, bro, they had me shook. And then she's like, listen, I don't know what to tell you. You know, we're open every single day. He's got things he's got to take care of. He's got a life. I told my dad to shut down the, uh, you know, the shack. If, if you want a Philly cheesesteak, there's a Philly cheesesteak place there. But, you know, you're going to have to come back tomorrow. Like, dude, she didn't even apologize one time. Like, oh, I'm so sorry that we, you know, we're, we're closed. She just, like, was literally, like, because she saw the look on my face, and she, like, immediately went into justification mode. <laughs> that that them being closed when they're advertised to be open is, on Valentine's Day, is, you know what I'm, I'm saying? Like, you, you don't have people that work for you that can, like, fucking grill on the, you know, on the smoke pit? Like, I don't understand how you operate as a business. You know, fuck Robert's Barbecue. Never going there. I don't even care if it's Seven Star Barbecue. Not doing it. You know, they're lucky I'm not a Karen and I'm writing like some super crazy nasty review. Instead, I'm putting it on the Ace of Podcast so everybody can hear. If you are ever in the, uh, 
you know, Pasco County area, do not boycott Robert Smokin. Do not patronize them, okay? You know, go somewhere else. Oh, and then, so then get this. Okay, so everything with that was like, all right, well, that kind of sucked. Maybe there's some other barbecue I can go to. So, like, I tell I tell my girlfriend, I'm like, you know what? Both those places were closed down. I'm going to go to the other barbecue place that it's called Nacho Mama's Barbecue. I was like, I'm going to go to Nacho Mama's. We'd had it one time before, and it was like a new business. This is like four months ago. It's not even that long ago, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the place looked great. The food smelled amazing. It was a little pricey, but I was like, it's probably worth it. It smells so good in here take it home you know it's like a three and a half star Mm, deal you know what i mean yeah yeah it's fine but you know my mama makes better barbecue than them so they're right it's nacho mama's barbecue (laughs) (laughs) so i was like i'm gonna go to nacho mama's and uh my girlfriend was like call them ahead of time because remember last time they ran out of stuff and I was like, yeah, but that was for, like, you know, a big, like, bowl game or something. This is different. Like, it's Valentine's Day. It's going to be fine. Plus, they're just up the road. Like, I was already ways out there, so I might as well go. So, me being myself, being stubborn and ignorant, I didn't call them. And I'm driving, driving, driving. And I get to where I think they are. I look over, and it's, like, coming soon. Hot dogs and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what the fuck? Dude, they went out of business. <laughs> Damn. So at this point, you know, something was supposed to be like a six or seven minute drive. The whole reason I didn't go get the hot chicken was because I was trying to uh, spend as much time together as I possibly could. And, you know, I was only supposed to take a five minute ride instead of a 40 minute ride. And instead, I've already been gone like an hour. So then I tell her, like, I'm like, yeah, that place shut down. She's like, you didn't call. I was like, no, I was right up the road, you know, and I'm getting like really frustrated. And then she's like, you can just get Aussie Grill. And I was like, are you sure? Like, it's Valentine's Day. Like, and she's like, I like Aussie Grill. Just get Aussie Grill. And I was like, all right. So we had Aussie Grill. Uh, we still had a great night. But, you know, I was trying to make a special. And, uh, you know, I feel like I failed. I, mm. I really do. Uh, you know? Uh, ultimately, she did have, I, I don't know if you've had it, but the Aussie Grill chicken sandwich was voted best chicken sandwich in the Bay Area. So, you know, not too shabby for her. Uh, my burger was just, you know, it was all right. Three three quarters, it's fine. Man, well, and then we watch and we watch the room. That that is quite the adventure, man. That's like my life, though. <laughs> Shit just be happening to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All the time, and it, a lot of it's my fault. <laughs> like I, I get like I'm like that dude. Like the door says like pull, and I'm like pushing really hard against it, and I don't understand why it's not opening. Like that's me. So. Mm. How, how was your Valentine's Day, man? Well, mine was fine. So the, the whole thing with my girlfriend is she actually hates Valentine's Day. And, you know, she thinks it's a corporate gimmick that it's just used to work people into, you know, buying cards and candies just on this one specific day. Right. Uh, and, you know, for her. Exactly. Like, for her, you know, it's like Valentine's Day, if you really love somebody, like you should do something special whenever, not just on, you know, February 14th. Um, man, fuck all that noise. You know what you need to do? dress up in a really, really scary outfit in, like, April with, like, a bucket of candy and be like, trick-or-treat, you know? And be like, it's not just the one day. We can celebrate any day. Halloween was a corporate made-up, you know, bullshit. We can we can uh, 
you know, get into the spirit of evil anytime we want, you know, come right. out dressed like evil if you want to. <laughs> not not modern day evil, like old school evil, like sight laser and pointers. Fingers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh I just went over to her her house with her parents. Uh her dad grilled up some steaks, just had a nice dinner with them, you know, didn't have to worry about any gifts. You know, last year I tested her to make sure this, you know, she wasn't trying to pull like a rib on me. Like, yeah, you know, like they tell you that they don't like it and then you don't get them anything and then they're like Oh, you didn't give me anything? This right. is how much you care about? And he's like, dude, you said. Right. So last year I got her something, and she was like, why'd you get me something? You're looking, I told you how I feel about Valentine's Day. And I was like, oh, no, just, you know, I felt like I had to get you here's, something. Here's the thing. Um, I, that's not a bad tactic to take. I don't totally disagree with you, but you know what? I w- w- you know how they say, like, the gift of giving is the greatest gift of all? Yeah. I don't believe that. It has to be reciprocal. You have to get something as well. If I'm just giving a gift and not getting one back, especially on a holiday, like not a birthday, obviously, but if it's like one of those holidays where we're both giving gifts, if only I give the gift to give to test them and they don't give one back, I will feel like I'll feel salty in some kind of way about the whole thing. I swear to God. Well, she she did did end up getting me something. She's like, well, I didn't get you anything. Now I have to get you something. So. Uh, she did end up getting me something. So this year, like ahead of time, she calls. She's like, "You're not getting me anything for Valentine's Day, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not getting you anything." So didn't have. You know, that's like it's like uh, you know, when you do a job to somebody and then they owe you a favor down the line. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah. So you know, and there's probably people listening right now being like, "Why are you guys still talking about you guys and not New Japan?" Let me make things very abundantly clear this show is not a new japan podcast i know you thought it was this is the josh and jeremy show okay new japan is very much a secondary act to us they are like young lions taking you know getting the piss beat out of them we're okada okay we're naito that's us (laughs) the show has always been about us secretly people didn't realize you know it it only took uh, 220 episodes for us to to finally re- reveal that secret. We're the elite. New Japan is Cody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we we do have some questions about that later on. I mean, like, and here's the great thing about it: we, uh, you know, oftentimes we try to keep everything New Japan centric, but uh, you know, we don't. We're not the Fed. We don't have to pretend like other shit going on in wrestling isn't actually happening and we can definitely talk about cody rhodes when the time comes if you want to on the show we haven't even you know we didn't have a production meeting so i don't even know what's on the rundown to be honest with you I'm, we're just kind of rifting here rifting well, rifting it's gonna be a box of surprises then let's let's uh, turn into so uh, talk, talk about some new japan stuff now so people don't completely uh tune out here so uh first thing that popped up on the twitter today there's a uh, twitter user named uh g-rod Reedy. reedy he uh translated a article that came out from japan um and the gist of it is they are planning on eliminating quarantining entirely for returning travelers who have three shots of vaccinations depending on where they're coming back from in the latest step by the kashida administration to loosen the border policy kashida is reported to give a press conference on thursday so we could be getting some kind of border Um, Update on Thursday, some lessening of restrictions as long as you've been vaccinated and boosted. You can come in the country, I guess, depending on which country you're coming from. 
So that could potentially open up a lot of doors. We had a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. Does the rumor lifting of restrictions for vaccinated travelers mean we might see some of the strong talent or others as soon as the new Japan Cup, or is that unrealistic? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, whoever doesn't show up, that tells us that they're anti-vax. And everyone that does show up, we know that they're with the shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Actually, um, my understanding, uh, after speaking to colleagues that are in the industry, you can't work in L.A. or for New Japan unless you are fully vaxxed. Uh, and by that definition, I do mean boosted as well. That's my understanding last time I heard about it. Uh, remember they were having those tryouts recently with Rocky? Yeah. Yeah, I spoke with individuals that were interested uh, in attending. That's kind of what was uh, communicated to them, you know. So, yeah, pretty much anybody that you see working, my understanding anyways, is that they have to be, like, boosted and vaxxed at this point, essentially. Gotcha. So it seems like, yeah, because, you know, most everybody then from Strong, uh, who's been working these Strong tapings, should be fair game. Should be eligible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't get that third shot. That's how they get you. But, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it does mean we could see some of the strong talent. Um, you know, this past week, Rocky Romero was on uh, Wrestling Observer Live. And during the conversation with him and uh, Brian Alvarez and uh, uh, Mike Sempervivi, they discussed the contract situation for workers who are working with strong and they kind of said that there's a mix of different things going on. There's people that are uh, actually contracted to deals with new Japan proper. And then there's some guys that are just uh, contracted for new Japan strong. And then there's other individuals that are like freelancers or partnered with other companies. And so there's like a big mix of different guys. We've kind of already, know, I don't know, I guess speculated that this was the case all along but never had any true official, you know, um, authoritative like word on it. And I think that that also might kind of give us a little bit of a clue of what kind of guys we might expect to see showing up in Japan. I'm not saying that they couldn't all potentially, but I'm sure like those individuals that are contracted to new Japan proper that are working on there are much more likely to potentially show up as, as opposed to say like, uh, you know, I don't know, like a Wheeler, Utah guy that's probably a freelancer, you know. Right. And Rocky did say in that uh, interview that, you know, pretty much the guys that you see that are getting pushed on strong are more likely the guys that do have the New Japan of America contract. So that would you would assume be the champion for the Tom Lawler. Um, Fred Rosser. Fred Rosser. Um, maybe Chris Leo. Dickinson. Yeah, Dickinson. Maybe Leo Rush. Um so guys right. like that um, would be under the New Japan of America deal. So you would think those guys would probably be the first ones to come over to Japan. Now, I don't know if New Japan Cup is too soon. Because not only has the border been the problem, but the visas have been the problem. So the borders can open up. But if these guys don't have work visas or can't get work visas in time for the New Japan Cup, I don't know if that's going to work out. Highly unlikely. I mean, I'm sure that that process is a pretty arduous one to be, you know, just in general. So I wouldn't expect anybody outside of people that already have work visas to be showing up anytime in the near future. Right. Unless the visa process has kind of been in the works and they've been just waiting for the boards to open up to get approved. So if that's the case, maybe, but like you said, it's probably right. 
unlikely we're probably going to have to wait more towards maybe maybe Dominion, maybe maybe G1 can get some of these guys in. So we'll see what happens there. Well, um, let's move on. Big news this past week. Uh, we saw the debut on AEW Dynamite and then his in-ring debut during Friday night's rampage of one switchblade Jay White. And he wrestled, or he will be wrestling this Friday against Trent on Rampage with special start time. So, I mean, this was uh, something that had been kind of rumored for a little bit. Um, You know, I think you and I had just started to hear stuff about this just after last week's recording. And um, I was still even pretty skeptical that it would even happen at all until, you know, until he showed up on the screen, basically. Right. And the, uh, the whole story is, you know, Tony Khan has been hyping up. He was hyping up, you know, Somebody new is coming through the forbidden door and he kind of butchered or botched his own, you know, meaning of the forbidden door. And so because everybody was assuming, oh, it's Keith Lee. You know, we had heard way ahead of time that Keith Lee was coming in. That was going to be the mystery guy. But he used the term forbidden door. So everybody's like, oh, it's somebody from New Japan's coming in. And so Tony Khan wanted to make it right, knowing that people have been speculating about who's coming through the forbidden door since he used that term. He reached out to New Japan on uh, Sunday of that week leading up to their debut and, you know, worked out a deal to get Jay. So this was a very kind of last-minute kind of make-good thing for his, you know, blunder on social media, but ended up working out. You can't blame Tony Khan for, you know, saying something stupid over a tweet. It wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) yeah, no, um... You know, and one thing I want to say, okay, very, very rare. We're not the podcast that gets scoops or breaks news. You know, there's probably one other time that we had a definite surefire, like, well, not surefire, but we were told was a surefire, like, scoop. We almost broke it on the air, and I'm so glad we didn't because it ended up being complete and total bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we've never been the guys to do that, but... We do operate in a small shout out to team NJPW, you know, uh, that's a Facebook group that we, you know, dialogue in. They've got a private messenger and uh, in the group, you know, people were speculating about it. And I felt proud that I knew who it actually was. And I said, I know who it is. Everybody in that group, no sold me entirely. No one even inquired who I thought it was at all. (laughs) <laughs> and I wouldn't have told him, but it pissed me off that no one would like no one even how often have I ever said that I know something 100 percent positive? We knew that it was Keith Lee. Also, I feel very strongly that the company must have been leaking privately that Keith Lee was coming in because stuff like that hardly ever leaks within AEW unless they really want it to get out. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, we were hearing stuff even before a lot of the leaks started coming out. Like we pretty much heard from one of our sources, like, yeah, like Keith is coming like in. A, what was it like three, three weeks, a month before? Yeah. And then as it got close to last week, all the dirt sheets and stuff were reporting. Oh yeah. It's probably going to be Keith Lee. Right. But we didn't hear anything about Jay white until like earlier that week, you kind of started to hear speculation. And I, I thought it was pretty far fetched, but in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about Jay White's run on Strong and how many times he's mentioning 
you know, AEW walking through the forbidden door and Tony Khan and all that. And I'm like, there's got to be some sort of payoff to this story. And then, like you said, chain of events occurred, the blunder with the tweet. And, you know, the reports basically said that a last minute deal came through and they brought in Jay White. So, you know, this past uh, Wednesday, there's been an ongoing feud between uh, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole versus the Best Friends, uh, mainly kind of highlighted mostly around Trent since his return and him kind of uh, beefing with Adam Cole, but also, you know, Rapongi Vice versus the Young Bucks. And it's all kind of just been an ongoing thing. And there was a backstage segment. Trent went nose to nose with the Bucks and all of them. And then out of nowhere, the Switchblade comes in. It looks like he might, after uh, Trent got jumped, it looked like he might be coming to Trent's aid. And in fact, he was not. He helps them to beat down uh, uh, Trent and, and Rocky. you know, the Buck and Rocky. And the Bucks look completely bewildered because, you know, they've never been in the Bullet Club with this guy. They, they have no relationship to Switchblade Jay White, if you recall the kayfabe of NJPW. But somehow Adam Cole... And Jay White are apparently boys, or he brought him in as a hired gun. I mean, it's a little kind well, of. Uh, well, Adam Cole said at the end of the promo, he said, "Hey guys, you know, we, we made an oath. When you're Bullet Club, you're Bullet Club for life." So he called in Brother Switchblade to, to help him out with their uh, chaos problem. Well, you know that's bullshit, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I get it, but like, I, I do have concerns about this storyline. I don't want to be like the NJPW defense squad guy, but like, let's just think logically here. Um, you know, Adam Cole has never even had any like interactions that I can even recall with Switchblade. The only time I could think of them maybe potentially interacting was like what when Switchblade Jay White was like a young lion or and, like uh, a young boy in Ring of Honor. Yeah, remember he was like, I think he was like a, a mentee to. Uh, Motor City Machine Guns, didn't he, like, work under them for a while? Yeah, there was him and somebody else that were, like, kind of like the mentees of uh, Saban and Shelly. Yeah, and, like, that's the only time I can think of. And then, like, at the time, Cole would have been part of the kingdom. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, we're going way back. <laughs> it's not like they were in NJPW at the same time. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, that, that whole thing gets a little muddled. I understand what they're doing because there's an ongoing story of, like, the Bucks having a, a bit of a rift with Adam Cole and, you know, the whole, you know, they're obviously gearing up for a Kenny and Adam Cole feud down the line. But my whole thing with a uh, switchblade is like the way they chose to use him. It's a little bit kind of like, eh, I don't know, because if you recall last year, Kenta came in and it was very clear that Kenta was not boys with the elite. He was not cool with, <laughs> you know, with, uh, the good brothers he was not cool with kenny omega or any of those guys like he was he came in for his beef with john moxley and they tried to play up the bullet club angle they made it very clear that there's a delineation between ex bullet club members and current bullet club members they're not like a team together and if this was to be believed quote unquote that there's some sort of a brotherhood between all these guys at this point it kind of flies in the face of what they've already established previously my yeah. other issue with it oh good no i was gonna say did you see uh jay white's comments uh since then i haven't but i guess you could speak to that the only thing um before we do that my other issue is how many times he's been um very you know anti 
AEW or very like uh, critical of them in his kayfabe promos post shows during Strong, making it seem very much like he's coming in as this individual star, you know, to walk through the forbidden door. And it has nothing to do with like Bullet Club. You know what I mean? So maybe you could speak to that. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm trying to pull up his comments here. Um, essentially, he was saying, you know, why can't, you know, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole throw up a two sweet again? Why can't we make Bullet Club something that's across all promotions, across New Japan, Impact, and AEW? Um, if that's something that he's saying, he's a hoe. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, that's um, that's some bullshit. Like, you can't just retcon everything and throw these guys back in. You know, mm-hmm. like, what are we gonna do? Like, have like 40 members of the Bull Club at this point? Then he's letting letting them everybody back in. Yeah, yeah. You got you got Chris Bay and Impact, and you got Kenny Omega and the Bucks over in AEW, and you know House of Tortures holding it down in Japan, and you know, Jay White, one big happy family, you know. I'm I'm sure, like, Terrible and those guys are holding it down. You know, Bull Club of uh, Latin America is really good, too. You know, all the companies. <laughs> yeah, so, so here's his exact comment. He says, what I'm doing is really trying to re- rejuvenate Bull Club in the way I truly see it. People can sometimes say whatever they think Bull Club is stale or not, especially since my absence from Japan with the likes of Evil and the House of Torture trying to, to say that they are still Bull Club and Bull Club has gone downhill. I put it on myself to go to Impact and New Japan Strong and AW to prove the Bull Club runs through me. That makes no sense because the portrayal of his coming into AEW made it look like he was a gun for hire working for Adam Cole and the Bucks. How many leaders have you ever heard of of a major organization coming in to work as a subjugated guy under someone else? You know what I mean? Like that's, I don't know, that's kind of a weak, explanation for the whole thing if you ask me i i don't know it makes to me that makes bull club look like more of a joke than it already is yeah it's just a, it's a whole the whole bull club thing is a whole hot mess but uh it's, it's a mess and like if you're trying to make it hot by by realigning with guys that are hotter than you and were part of the group during its heyday i get it but i feel like that's a futile attempt to you know and, and i'm speaking strictly from like a kayfabe sense like my whole thing is if he really is this Switchblade character, he should be coming in completely separate from those guys or feuding with those guys at the very least. Like, right. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. To me. And here, here's the other comments that I saw. So he says, uh, why can't Adam Cole and the Bucks throw up the two sweet again? Maybe if I'm the one that's ex- extending the olive branch and trying to make it work, maybe it'll be more open to it. We're obviously off to a good start. Why can't we have the Bullet Club united across AEW, New Japan, and Impact? Well, at the same time, I mean, you know what it is. We've talked about this many times before. These guys have the, you know, freedom and autonomy to kind of say what they want during their promos, especially Western speakers, you know, because I don't think there's as much oversight. And so they kind of work themselves into their own angles, if if at all possible. So, I mean, you know, where were those comments? Was he on a podcast or something? Yeah, he was on a podcast. So, yeah. Yeah, I heard he was on some, like, Strong Style podcast. And I'm like, what other Strong Style podcast is there aside from us? I tried to Google them, and all I found was us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Jay, if you want you want the bigger platform, you might want to hit hit up your boys, you know? Yeah, but I'm not trying to talk to Jay and Kayfabe for an hour, so. <laughs> no, that's my thing, too. Like, I don't want to do an interview with, with, with uh, you know, 
Jay White. I want to talk to uh, whatever his Jamie. Uh, shoot name is. Yeah, to Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so on Wednesday, like you mentioned, we had the the, the debut of Jay helping uh, the Super Click beat up Rapungi Vice, and then last Friday on Rampage, we had Rapungi Vice versus Young Bucks opening up the show. Awesome matchup, like usual, like these guys have. Uh, Bucks end up getting the win post match. There were some shenanigans with uh, Orange Cassidy and Cutler and Trent, and then Jay White came out, hit the Blade Runner on Trent, and that's going to set up Rampage this Friday, special chart time, 7 p.m., uh, because of the, the NBA uh, stuff that's happening, um, Hall of Fame stuff happening on TNT. So Jay White versus Trent Beretta. I, I gotta say, uh, the Wednesday Night Dynamite appearance, obviously that was a, a pre-taped like backstage segment, wasn't live in the building, but just seeing like his jacket and his appearance on the show was really cool, but I am a little concerned about his portrayal as a character. Um, just because, I don't know, I felt like the way they used Kenta was a lot better than this, you know what I mean? Yeah, and um, the, the Kenta thing, obviously it seems like that was a, a plan, like there was more planning into that, and as we said, like this was kind of a very like last minute kind of quick turnaround, so right. I wonder how much this has actually been thought about and planned out, or they just kind of you know, booking on the fly here with this. I will say also, so then the Friday night show, he, he did show up live in the building for the Young Bucks match against uh, Rapungi Vice. That match, I watched that because it is available on uh, NJPW World. Very, very good. I mean, you know, these two teams have always had great matches together, but I thought that that one really was great. Like, a very good tag team TV match. They knocked it out of the park, and then the post-match angle was really great, too. So looking forward to seeing Jay White on Rampage. And, you know, this might – I mean, I don't want to be too down on this because I think this is the kind of thing, like, synergi- synergistically, if that's even a word, that people are clamoring for. You know, you are seeing Jay White on a on a bigger platform here in the States, which only raises the profile strong at New Japan. And, you know, at the same time, a guy like me who I don't watch Rampage on a Friday night, I might tune in to see Jay White wrestle Trent because that sounds awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so definitely interesting stuff here. We'll see how everything plays out this Friday. I'm sure there might be something on tomorrow's Dynamite uh, promo or something, but that uh, should be good stuff. We have a couple questions here. Reddit user NoralArms1995 says, what will Jay White's outlook be in NJPW proper when he returns from the States? Well, I will say this. I can't imagine them doing anything detrimental with him while he's there because that would be really a neg- like a, a a black eye on AEW and in their like goodwill towards New Japan and the fact that he is a top guy. But I also think it means like um, he's not going to be wrestling guys like Kenny Omega or John Moxley or Hangman Adam Page, anybody that like the politics would get really crazy. That's why you're seeing him wrestle Trent. And uh, I do think that this is going to be a benefit both for when he returns to Strong as well as when he goes back to Japan. Um, my, my feeling is that when Jay White goes back to Japan, he's going to be a made guy because he's been gone for so long and they kind of need fresh blood and he kind of is that fresh blood. I really wouldn't be surprised if he co- if he goes back and he wins the G1 or if he headlines the dome is crazy i mean he's already done it so many times at this point or if he does win the world title like i i think those are all really feasible things for when he goes back 
Yeah, I think when he goes back, he's definitely going to be positioned very high on the card. Um, not sure if he got his green card yet, but, I mean, he could win New Japan Cup if, if he was in that. Like you mentioned, a G1. I can see him being pushed to the top immediately and getting right into that world title picture and having a big match with whoever, if Okada's still a champion or you know somebody towards the top of the card. You know, there's always a tension with him and Osprey too, as well. And there's um, big money there, I think, between those guys as well, having a drawn out feud. Um, so lots of stuff that they can do with Jay when he returns to Japan. Yeah. Plus all the uh, kind of lingering questions. Involving House of Torture and whether that will be an angle or not remains to be seen. We'll so we'll we'll check that out. Yeah. Um. Next question from Dom Homie One Hundred One. He said, "Thoughts on the appearance of Jay White in Conland? How do you guys think he should be used during his time at Conland, meaning AEW?" Yeah, I mean, like we said, I thought it was I like the appearances. I thought it was a great way to you know compliment what he was he's been doing on strong with the. U.S. of J Open Challenge and using the Forbidden Door and kind of playing on this Bullet Club storyline. It's something that people still want, even though Bullet Club's been going on for so long. Um, Bullet Club, you know, part of its roots is with AEW and with All In and the Bucks and Kenny and all that. And so um, I do think it's a great way to kind of peak interest. And, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of AEW fans who probably haven't seen a lot of Jay White. So it's a lot of people who kind of jump ship once. Uh, the elite went to AEW, so it's kind of getting a fresh set of eyes on Jay White. And as far as how he should be used, I mean, definitely use strong. You know, he's gonna have a highlight match here for Great Worker in Trent. Uh, you know, getting some wins like that, and then who knows? Potentially, I think the big money was is to lead to a Kenny Omega match, but I'm not sure when or how that will happen. Yeah, I mean. That kind of remains to be seen as well. It, it depends on what the end goal is. I mean, there's a lot of people that want to see these two companies come together and do some sort of, you know, big show, whether it be in the States or in Japan or maybe across both continents. Uh, you know, who knows? And if that could be the case, that would be really awesome. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, politics that come into play when you're talking about tip-top guys like a Jay White, like a Kenny Omega, or Brian Danielson, or or whoever. You know what I mean? And um, I had a conversation about this recently with uh, Rich Latta, and I, I, I kind of said to him, I was like, you know, there's only a few ways I could see it going. I really couldn't see um, either company agreeing to let certain guys, like certain major stars like a Jay White take a pinfall loss or Kenny Omega, vice versa, unless there are certain sort of uh, promises and assurances made by each company, whether that be a series of matches between top guys, you know, across companies, trading wins back and forth, that's something that's feasible. I could also see a situation where maybe, like, just to give an example, what if Jay White were to beat Kenny Omega only to set up a, a title shot where he loses to Hangman Adam Page. You know what I mean? So you're sacrificing the one guy to establish a guy that's even higher up, or vice versa. You know, you you could see an AEW guy, like let's say um, Brian Danielson beats Jay White, only to lose to Okada for the title. Does that mm, make sense? Yeah, yeah. I could see those types of things playing out, or like we we kind of speculated a second ago what if they did like a super card and you have different guys trading wins on that card so you know maybe 
maybe it is a one-off for the night anyways. And, you know, you have different tip top guys beating each other. So, you know, even if Jay White were to lose on that card, he's not going to get the win back. It's made up for because Naito is going to beat one of their guys later in the night, you know, and they go 50, 50 on the card. So those are all things I could see as being potentials, but you know, with the idea that they both these companies have their own agendas and interests and how protective they are with their booking on both sides when it comes to their top guys, especially when it comes to cross-promotional. We just saw what happened with New Japan and Noah. Um, and, you know, you look at the use of a lot of the AEW guys when they're in PWG or, you know, in a Game Changer or Impact, you know, they don't lose. <laughs> right. So all, all these companies are very protective of their stars, and I think that that's the biggest hurdle. And that would be something to uh, really kind of consider and be realistic about when it comes to Jay White working in AEW. Him wrestling other guys that are lower on the card, like we've already seen in during Strong, like a Trent Beretta or like a Christopher Daniels, he can win those matches all day. You know, And I feel like for the time being, that's what we're going to see is my, my biggest concern, though, when it comes to Jay White and AEW is that their kayfabe doesn't conflict with the ongoing kayfabe in Strong and in New Japan proper. You don't want to misrepresent a character um, and have them be like a totally different entity company to company. There needs to be some sort of cohesiveness and story for that character across companies. You know, we, right. we saw something... Um, we saw something like this recently, if you recall, when Kenny Omega's work in Impact, he was like a totally different guy than the guy he was being represented at every week on the, you know, in AEW. And I felt like that was a detriment. I felt like it would have been more beneficial to have him kind of presented in a similar manner show to show, you know, and I don't want to see like Jay White show up here and him get a different creative direction then he's getting on impact or then he's getting on strong or the promos that he's cutting post show and strong because that might be a, a detriment to strong. Right. And it's probably going to be hard because, you know, strong is taped ahead of time. And we've seen this already when AEW has worked with new Japan on this kind of stuff with uh, Suzuki Archer and Kingston and Moxley. There was that promo at the end of strong that was setting up yeah. a match that already uh, happened, happened. Um, so stuff like that's probably going to happen because, you know, Jay's been doing this U.S. of Jay stuff and calling out people from AEW, um, you know, this coming up weekend on Strong, they're finally going to air the match that he has against somebody from AEW that's coming in. Um, so he's doing these promos. So hopefully, you know, there will be some kind of continuity. I know Rocky's kind of like the main li- liaison there, and hopefully he can kind of try help keep things straight here. for the. Cause, I mean, U.S. of Jay has probably a, a been a big storyline for Jay on Strong. Well, it's pretty simple, Jeremy. Like any beautiful and successful relationship, communication is key. Mm. Yeah. So uh, before we move on to talk about Golden Series, uh, breaking news just came in here from New Japan of America. They hired Cody. Oh, shit. (laughs) No. I knew it. (laughs) Uh, Better. Minoru Suzuki is coming back to the U.S. He will be... And Dallas, April 1st for the Lone Star Shootout for WrestleCon weekend. And then he will be at the Windy City Riot on April 16th. Oh, man. I uh, I hope I can be there. <laughs> yeah. 
I, we gotta talk. I, I might not be able to make uh, Windy City, but I'll, I will be in uh, Dallas. Wait, you're not gonna make Windy City because that's the only one I could maybe make. But I just uh, I just booked tickets for uh, a different personal trip the week after that. So like it would be it would be difficult for me to make that trip. But there's a part of me that's like, damn, I really want to go. But you're not you you can't go. Yeah, we can talk about it later. Ah, fuck. All right. Well, anyways, but, you know, I'm so glad that Suzuki's showing up in April and not in March here in St. Pete. That's great. <laughs> not, not like I'd love to see him, you know, wrestle in the Coliseum or anything. <laughs> that being that New Japan Cup, man. Bro, this uh, this Coliseum show is not, I mean, we've had some announcements, but uh, no, no domestic guys. That's not great. Uh, let it play out, man. Let it play out. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's what the Cody fans were saying. <laughs> well, uh, let's, right, let's talk about Golden Series. Yeah, so we had a couple shows here. So on uh, February 11th, we had a Golden Series show. Opened up with Tomioka Hanma defeating Rihoi Oiwa in the pre-show opener match. Seven minutes and two seconds. One One quick thought. Hanma looked awful. I mean, he's looked great in recent times, but this was a uh, mechanically one of the roughest I've seen him look. It almost looked like when he first first came back post injury. I was very worried for Oiwa's safety. Yeah, he looked very stiff. Uh, not sure what the deal was, but it didn't look like he was he, he was looking in recent outings. Uh, but he did get yep. the, the submission victory. Got the Boston Crab on Oiwa post match. Oiwa slapped away a handshake from Hanma. So I'm sure we might, maybe we'll see a little rivalry here of Oiwa trying to, to beat Hanma. A, a lion not agreeing to show respect? Wow, that never happens. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, so after that, we had Doki and Yoshinobu Kanamaru defeating the LIJ team of Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi. Um, so, you know, good little little tag match here. Uh not really a lot coming out of it. Um, just kind of surprising to see that uh, Bushi um, and Hiromu got the loss here. Kanamaru uh, rolled up Bushi. I'm not surprised. Suzuki Goon's the more established junior team. This junior tag team division's just, you know, they're they're firing in all cylinders right now. Totally rejuvenated. It's crazy. But no, in all seriousness, um, Bushi and Hiromu have had some measure of success in the past, but like, I don't feel like they, uh, you know, are, are out there like beating the world or anything like that. It's been a while since they really were a notable junior tag team anyway. So. Yeah. So yeah, just gotta see that Doki was on the winning side there. Well, Doki rules. I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, so next we had the uh, chaos team of Goto and Ishii and they were teaming with tens on Yoshiashi was still out due to uh, the COVID protocol. And they defeated the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro Takahashi, 8 minutes and 35 seconds. Obviously, the focus here on the, the Lumberjack match that would come in a couple of days on, on Sunday uh, between Evil and Ishii. And also building the, uh, the tag match that's coming up this coming weekend. Um, yep. House of Torture versus Chaos. It's the feud that will never end. Yeah, I mean... It was what you expect. Uh, Ishii, towards the end, he gets a hold of Dick Togo, hits him with the uh, sliding lariat, and gets the the win for the team. 
So moving on to the next match, we have Taguchi, Togi Makabe, and Toriyano defeating Suzuki, Taichi, and Taka Michinoku. And this is all about the upcoming KOPW match with Yano and Suzuki. Um, again, kind of by the numbers match here after the match, Suzuki handcuffed Yano um, and he locked Taguchi in the dog cage. Um, so kind of using both the steps, but we do know now that uh, the fans have voted for the dog cage match. So Suzuki and Yano will be the dog cage match stipulation. Yep. It's going to be so good. Post-match, there was a pretty funny uh, interview segment um, during the post-match comments where Taguchi, because if you noticed when he was put in that dog kennel, they wheeled him to the back of the dog kennel and then they conducted the interview with him still in the dog kennel, you know, talking to Togi Makabe and Toriano. So that was a uh, pretty comical, but uh, other than that, not much here. I mean, you know, a match with Togi Makabe who can't take bumps and, you know, Yano and Taguchi in a dog kennel and with, you know, Suzuki Goon, you know, mucking it up. I mean, this is all DDTism. I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to <laughs> say sure this is, Probably appeal to some people, not me. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't say Makabe can't take bumps. He just doesn't want to take bumps. I think his bump cards fell out for this month after that last of the dragon he took uh, earlier in the tour. He that was the one big bump for the tour, and he's done. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so next we had our first singles match on the card: the Great Okan defeating my man Satoshi Kojima, eleven minutes and one second. This was fine, uh, you know. Uh, a couple illusions on the uh, commentary speaking back to the feud that uh, that Tenkoji had just a year ago with the United Empire. Uh, we didn't see as many um, interactions between Okan and Kojima during that period, but this kind of felt almost like spiritual successor to that. But, you know, Okan's out there throwing his Mongolian chops. and They're talking about how, you know, he won those from Tenzan. But, you know, this is kind of just the uh, the Great Okan rehabilitation tour. You know, he's started with the Lions. You know how we always joke about, like, when you when when you uh, lose a big title match, you have to start back at the bottom and, and beat the Brooklyn Brawler? Yeah. Well, they really did that with Okan. They had him go through all the Lions. Now he's going through the old heads. Pretty soon he's going to be ready for this uh, New Japan Cup. I, You know what? Who knows? They might be building him up to like actually have a pretty serious run in that New Japan Cup, honestly. Yeah, definitely. I, I think so. And, you know, this is a story they've been telling. You know, he was wrestling the Lions. He didn't come up with his special entrance. Kind of frustrating. He's got down to business. And now, and you know, in a bigger match here against Kojima. Came out with the full entrance and definitely looked at the focus. I really enjoyed this matchup. A lot of good back and forth. I really like the finish. Um, they hit a, a double you know, Lariat James Boyd spot. Uh, but Kojima was the one that was kind of made his footing, and he was running in for one more lariat, and Okan caught him with the Eliminator, uh, so getting the win there. Good stuff here from Okan and Kojima. Then the next matchup, we had LIJ, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeating the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, and Yuji Nagata, building up the, the U.S. and World Heavyweight title matches. Yeah, this is a match that we've seen uh, in some iteration all throughout the tour so far. Uh, it always stands out to be a very good pairing. I mean, you look at the uh, collection of talent that's in this six-man tag, but it is kind of a wash, rinse, repeat. Same thing over and over again. The, the big stories essentially are Sonata and Tanahashi trying to outclass one another when it comes to 
you know, catch style wrestling. And then uh, Naito's really focusing heavily on the knees of Okada and he's doing everything that he can throughout the match and then post match to uh, kind of, you know, create a target for himself on Okada and kind of injure him before their uh, world title match later this month. And then uh, Shingo's just kind of mowing down whatever guy that they're teamed up with. In this case, it was Nagata again. And uh, in my opinion, the Shingo versus friend uh, interactions during these matches usually tend to actually be the true highlight of the six-man tags. And in my opinion, Nagata's the best guy to be paired up with uh, the Mega Aces. And I mean, this is the Tri-Aces team, so it's my favorite one. And uh, I thought I thought it was good. 18 minutes, probably a little long for a match that we've seen so many times at this point. But uh, you know, I, I would. This was one of the best matches on the show, easily. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, these guys like you mentioned always work hard. Like you mentioned Lij, no matter what combo, they always have these very good multi-man matchups towards the middle or towards the end of the card. So, yeah, good stuff here. Looking forward to those uh, two title matches coming up this weekend. We did have a question from Dan Coffin. Do you think Shingo will ever get elevated back to the world title scene or was his pandemic championship run an anomaly? Well, you know, I don't want to count out um, Shingo Takagi any longer because, you know, I was one of those, you know, staunch and ardent voices that was saying he would never touch the title. And then within months, he was the world champion. So, yeah, um, you know, it's kind of hard to count out a guy with his talent. Uh, if anything, I think he proved to the company what he's capable of, and that goes a long way. But we've seen guys that the company knows they could count on uh, throughout the years. You know, a name that comes to mind, Minoru Suzuki, never touched the title, but he's challenged for the belt, headlined in major spots for years and years and years. That's probably, you know, winding down now. But I wouldn't be surprised if Shingo was a title challenger again in the future or even a champion. But do I do I think he could be the ace or the guy that the company like crowns and really goes with for prolonged periods, I I don't think that the company thinks that about him. I think that they see him as a proven commodity and a and a proven guy, but you know, uh, he's a B plus player in their opinion. In my, that's the way I think of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely think Shingo already being established as champion now will definitely be a title challenger. Um, I could see him doing very well in New Japan Cup. You know, he went to the finals last year and almost won, uh, fell short to Osprey. So I could see him going to the finals again, potentially even winning uh, the New Japan Cup too to get a title shot. Because, you know, he's never won the cup, so that could be a move there. But I definitely think we'll see Shingo in the mix some point this year. Agreed. But, uh, you know, one last thing about this match. Um I, I wish that they would do some sort of running um, narrative or story that was a little bit different match by match. If they're going to run the same match over and over and over again and televise it on these kind of like bigger cards, you know, I, I understand that they're running for house shows and the different live audiences haven't necessarily seen it. But like for us watching at home, I, I enjoy when there is a, uh, you know, they break up the monotony, you know. Right, yeah, especially since we've been seeing this combination all throughout the tour. Right, exactly. So then moving on to the final few matches here, we had some singles matches, junior division spotlight here. So 
After this match, we had Tiger Mass defeating Gato 15 minutes and 20 seconds. Um, fine match. You know, but uh, I was going to say, you know, surprisingly, I thought this was inoffensive considering who was in, involved in the match. Uh, I think Tiger Mask is, as a uh, junior tag guy, as a champion, he seemed to be pretty motivated and revitalized and is working pretty hard. Obviously, there's a limitation uh, to what these guys can achieve just based on their age and their uh, athleticism, but I thought Gato was a pretty decent foil for Tiger Mask. I, they worked together for years and years, and I thought they, they had a pretty solid match. I, I don't want to overstate how good it was, but like, let me put it to you this way. I liked this match with Tiger Mask much better than the match he had the next uh, show with El Phantasma. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a fine match. It wasn't, like you mentioned, wasn't you know, offensive at all. Um, told a story they were trying to tell. You know, Gato was trying to use all the tricks in the book to, to pull one over on Tiger Mask and soften him up for the next night against Ishimori. Um, he does do a ref bump, gets a low blow. Tiger Mask kicks out. Uh, Tiger Mask goes for a crucifix, but he transitions it into an arm bar, gets Gato to tap out. You said Ishimori. You mean Phantasma? Uh, yeah, Phantasma. One other thing, too, to put it in perspective, I thought this was vastly better than the match we're about to talk about, Show and Yo, so let's put that in perspective, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah, this this next match, so yeah, Show defeats Yo, 22 minutes, 26 seconds. This match literally put me to sleep. I Jeremy, I'm not going to lie. Literally, when you say literally put you to sleep, it literally put me to sleep as well. I, tr- I try to watch it on a Saturday morning after I'd like woken up early and had breakfast and gone out and done a few things, came home, put on the New Japan show, fell asleep during this match, dead asleep. Yeah, dude, I, I forgot when I was when I was watching this, uh, but yeah, put it on. I was awake through everything else, and then this. Actually, I think yeah, I think it was like Saturday afternoon. So yeah, I was it was the middle of the day. Put this on, uh, you know, the rest of the show, I was, I was fine. And then this match started, and it was just that still just kind of, you know, the slow pace, the the show, you know, making his faces and, you know, trying to be aggressive, but not really coming off as aggressive. And, yeah, it, it, it was not good at all. Um, Let me put it to you this way. Um, shout out to Rich Latta. When uh, the uh, – when the – Fucking when uh, when the WWE Network first came out, right? And they started uploading the classic wrestling, like the classic, uh, you know, territory stuff. Me and Rich both discovered very shortly that if you are up late at night, you can't go to sleep. If you will put on just one of those early classic episodes of world-class championship wrestling, within minutes, you will be asleep, I swear <laughs> to God. It is so terrible. And that's always been kind of like our joke is, uh, you know, if you're tired, you put on some world class, you know, it'll knock your ass out right away. I think that show and yo from the Golden Series on February 10th, 2022 might be my new world class championship wrestling. Like anytime I just need to like, you know, catch a shut eye, like I'll put this match on and, you know, it'll do the trick, you know. No more need for any, like, do-it-yourself, you know, sleep aids. I think right. that this Don't. is actually something that doctors should uh, prescribe to people that are dealing with, um, you know, with uh, with, with insomnia. Right, yeah. No need for melatonin or any of that stuff. Just 
pop on, yeah. get, get a New Japan World subscription, pop on your first show from this show, and man, you'll be sleeping like a baby. You don't need any more milk. You don't need a heating pad. You don't need melatonin. You don't need weed. Nothing like that. You put on show and yo. I promise you, <laughs> you will be asleep, or or your money back. <laughs> be the best sleep you've had in years. <laughs> um, but you know, okay. So here's the thing too: is like, okay, mechanically, the match was fine. I mean, there was less cheating and shenanigans and interference in this match than many of their previous outings, but. And, you know, they tried to start it quote-unquote pop, but, like, the pace was just, bro, it was just slow. Like, you know, they, uh, they're they just plotting on the outside. There's a lot of people getting rammed into posts and rammed into barricades. And you, here's one thing I've noticed. When I did go back and rewatch this, how many big moves did these guys hit? And then they're both doubled down for a long period of time. Yeah, there was quite a few and, Like... Okay, I'm a big fan of selling, and I think that um, there are times where you definitely need to hit a big move and then sell the effects of it afterwards, even if you're the guy giving it. But there are times where you need to be fired up in the middle of your shine or your comeback, and you do not need to be on the ground selling for 10 seconds after you hit a tope to the outside. You can sometimes do like the Kenny Omega or the like Will Ospreay and fire up and like let the crowd know like I'm a badass and I just, you know, fucking fling myself at this dude and he's hurt and I'm not, you know, because I, I fucking rule and he sucks. And Sho and Yo don't do that shit. Like they just, I don't know, man. It's so weird because these are the two guys. Here's how detrimental I think this whole program has been. Um, and it's, it's detrimental on two different uh, fronts. Actually, maybe three. Number one, Sho and Yo have been viewed for years and years and years as the future of the junior division. Like, the future. Like, the guys that were going to, like, you know, succeed Will Ospreay and Hiromu and Ricochet and all those guys, you know, Kushida and all that. It's going to be Sho and Yo. And I feel like they're, they're being miscast so poorly that it's actually hurting their ability to be the the next guys second front the fact that we have waited for like four years for this to happen and there's been so much dialogue and so much you know analysis and so much hype and and preparation and waiting and and anticipation for show versus yo to finally happen and then this is what they give us this is their fourth outing since the split None of the matches have been good. Nobody cares. It has literally lowered the stock of both guys drastically. And um, you shouldn't be having to repair two guys when they were both so hot before the split. Like, now I'm like, they should have never even fucking split Rapongi 3K. They should have just stayed together because they were in a better spot when they were still tag teaming than they are as singles guys. Right now, that like they both fucking suck, dude. Show and yo, they're not here to save the day. They're here to kill the show. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, dude. These it, it's horrible. The feud's been horrible. The matches have been horrible. You have show out here trying to get heat with a crowd that can't boo. So you just have these awkward silences when he's trying to cheat. Um, I'm over the him pulling the ref and the ref bumps. Like at what point? 
can the ref just not call like he should not be able to touch the ref multiple times in a match and there not be any kind of repercussions or anything makes the ref look stupid and just the you know the, the credibility of the whole contest looks looks dumb when the referee is just being thrown around uh by show um end of the match we had a ref bump um he hits yo for low blow how the torture comes in uh beat down uh, then chaos comes out to hit the ring they run off how the torture but show gets the wrench uh it's the the rent oh the ref spotted the wrench uh, before show could use it uh, but Evil hit Yo with the never title, and the ref was distracted with Yo. Yo landed a shock arrow and pinned Yo, and that was the the closing sequence of this horrible matchup. Yeah, and earlier I said that there was less interference and bullshit, but I didn't say there was none. There was still all of that at the end, and that was like a downgrade from what we've seen in the past from this pairing. And even still, they couldn't get it. Even like between the ropes and and just like when it was just the two of them, they couldn't get done. And then even with the extra, you know, bullshit on top, like it, it all just sucked, man. Like I'm a, you know, there was a part of me that's like, oh, it's just evil bullshit. No, it's show bullshit too. And it's also yo not living up to the hot, you know, white meat babyface billing either. Yeah, um, and I think it's worse with show overall and evil because I felt like show had a higher ceiling than evil ever had yeah. uh and we've seen what singles show was doing as a baby face as part of punky 3k and you, you look back at those matches with shingo and you look at his 2019 super junior some of the matches he was having there and um you know this guy was poised to be a, a great face of the division and now that's all flushed down the drain because of this heel turn and i just don't see any way to really rehab this because he's going to keep doing this. He's going to keep making the goofy faces. He's going to keep doing the ref bumps. He's going to keep pulling the wrench out. There's going to be house of torture interference. You know, maybe, maybe it will get a little bit better once crowds are allowed to react and maybe you know, they're booing him and uh, getting some, getting a little bit of heat, but I don't know how much better that is going to make it though. They picked the wrong guys for the wrong roles. I think it's very apparent. Show should have been the baby face. He has all the, like, fire in the world. Yo should have been the sniveling heel, the guy that was dastardly, the guy that took the shortcut route. Uh, I, I can't say for sure that with the competency of booking, how that's been in question over this kind of uh, pandemic period, especially as it relates to House of Torture, that it would be much better. But, I mean, I have to at least guess that these two guys were more well-suited for those roles. There's a chance that that might have been the case. But, ultimately, I do think that this is – and I'm very, like – I don't say stuff like this. You know, I know sometimes we can be a little hyperbolic and things like that. But, like, I feel like this is an extremely, like, uh, like hurtful and uh, damaging angle and uh, program that they've been running with Show and Yo. I mean – you know, uh, we've kind of seen the past few years with Super Juniors that the domestic side of the juniors is very limited, and we are still kind of waiting for them to bring in outsiders from the West. And the two guys that are like your homegrown bread and butter juniors that you've invested a decade into now, showing yo, you're fucking killing them. And you shouldn't be having to rehab these guys at this stage of their career. 
this is the stage of their career where they should be headlining for the junior title and having classic matches and they're not doing either of those things it's horrible bro like this is a anyone that wants to like talk bad about new japan and all that there are definitely things to criticize but this has got to be one of the biggest swings and misses of the entire period and uh if it ends up with show and yo being like casualties of the whole thing because of house of torture and togoism that's gonna be a big big black eye huge right especially we're in a time period now where that they really should be building up juniors with this pandemic. You know, we, like you mentioned, we haven't been able to get our Ryu Lee's or, you know, ACH or Leo rush or some of these guys that they would probably have brought over by now. Uh, you know, you would think, all right, you know, we Hiromi and Despi are the two main guys that we've been kind of pushing the division. What we need to create some new guys and get some guys over to their level showing you, like you mentioned all the time invested in them. They're the guys that, you know, if you're going to do a split, all right, let's make these both of these guys stars and, and create a new attraction for this division. Let's get some fresh guys who can challenge Hiromi for this junior title. Uh, but instead, they're just throw it away because of this feud. And I don't ever see these guys, at least in these roles, being junior main eventers, being a face of division. I have a hard time seeing either of these guys win the junior championship um, after this feud. Let me ask you this, and this is going to be a pretty, I think I know the answer. I know it's a little bit of a leading question, but like, it's also a very honest question. Let's put the past aside. Okay. Let's just focus on the show and yo that we've gotten since the split. Can you think of a single wrestler anywhere in the world that you would be like excited to see wrestle show or yo? No. Not one dream match anywhere. I mean, the, the door is open, Jeremy. Money is not an issue. No contracts, nothing. You can you can pair them up against anybody. doesn't matter who. Who do you want to see show and yo wrestle? Honestly, I, I can – I mean, obviously you can put them against a great worker. Like you can, you can say like Brian Danielson, but, I mean, I really don't want to – I just don't want to see show or yo wrestle after this. Especially – I'm tired of heel show. Uh, I'm tired of the, the goofy faces, his wacky selling, the, the wrench. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm over it, over all of it. Bro, bro, what we're saying is there's no one in this company we want to see them wrestle, including each other, and there's nobody outside of this company we want to see them wrestle. That would not have been the case before this program. I rest my case. Yeah. My God. So let's move on here to the, the main event, which is for the IWGB Junior Heavyweight title, the champion, Elvis Barado. He retains defeating Master Wato, who was accompanied with uh, Tenzon and Gucci, 28 minutes and 50 seconds. So this was, um, you know, I don't know. It's a little bit of a mixed bag because I, I don't want to talk down on Wato or Desperado. But I don't think that this was an unexpected result in terms of the overall perception of the match and the, the quality um, I think Desperado's been a great champion, but I don't think he's really, on a consistent basis, uh, performed to that higher level that we've come to expect over the past decade when it comes to junior title defenses, you know? Um, and, and, you know, people love Desperado, so there might be some people that are uh, 
maybe yelling at their screens, but like, let's just be honest. I don't think Desperados had title matches that matched the likes of Hiromu or, you know, uh, Will Ospreay when he had the title or Kushida or, you know, um, you know, even like Taiji Shimori, people like that, you know, there's kind of a standard and I feel like he's been close to the standard, especially in the pandemic era, you kind of give him a pass plus his, uh, you know, character and, and all of that, people are, are very drawn to him and he's had good matches, but, um, you know, most of his really great matches have been with guys that are a little more established like Hiromu with Watto. He's a guy that's improved a lot, but hasn't really had many classics of his own either. And so they went out there. I thought they had a solid match. I thought it was a little bit lower than what we've come to expect from Desperado, but considering that it was Watto, that's not like totally unfounded. I mean, I went like three and a half here at 28 minutes. I don't know if I could give the full recommendation on this. I thought that both guys were competent and the match was fine. It was entertaining, but uh, this didn't go down as any sort of like junior classic or some sort of litmus test to prove that Watto has, you know, risen to the occasion or, you know, surpassed what people expected of him. And, same thing for Despy. I don't think it shows him as being this, uh, you know, new established ace of the division that can carry, you know, younger guys or anything like that. So, you know, it, it's kind of a mixed bag in that respect. Yeah, very similar thoughts um, for the matchup for me as well. I also went three and a half for this matchup. It was a, a very good match. It told a good story. Uh, Watto working over the, the head and kind of arms of Despy to set up his uh, new submission hold that he tapped out Despy with at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, then Despy was working the legs, trying to set up um, Pinche Loco uh, to get a submission victory there. And, you know, good back and story, both working the body parts, and there was some high flying. And, you know, I thought it was a, you know, well-worked match. I don't think it was a main event-worthy match for the junior title. Like, I feel like, also, like you mentioned, we've seen better Junior titles have been put in a main event. Like I could have seen maybe this match. It was like on a Dominion where it's like higher up, uh, where it's like lower on the card, where it's like more towards the opening versus you know being a main event on one of the kind of flagpoles of this tour. Um, but it was a fine match. Except for except for the length. Yeah, um, and like you said, uh, you know this match doesn't really prove that. Watto is somebody you can go with as a potential guy. I mean, he looked fine. There's nothing, nothing to complain about. All the mechanics are fine. He, he looked good. You know, his, uh, all his high flying, all his submission work, I thought looked good. But it wasn't enough to be like, oh man, I, I think you know they should put the belt on Watto. Like mentioned with Despy, it's almost he kind of falls into that that thing of like wrestling up to the level of other guys in there with. So if he's in there yeah. with, um, you know, a Hiromu or a, uh, a Ryu Lee or somebody like that, he's going right. to go, he's going to go all out and it's going to be crazy. He's going to do his, his flips and he's going to be wild now and having this, you know, epic junior matchup. And when, he, when he's in here with guys like uh, Watto or Deguchi or some of these other guys, it's kind of like, he's just kind of taking it easy. Yeah, and even with that being said, I still thought that this show was pretty entertaining for what it was. Uh, there, I thought there's a black eye with the uh, the show and yo match, but uh, across the board, I thought that it was uh, a little bit better than what I kind of expected going into it. Uh, this match maybe disappointed me just slightly, but like you said, a very good match. 
And, uh, you know, Desperado's uh, title reign continues. Watto goes back to the drawing board. I don't know what's next for him. We didn't get any questions about this match. I think yeah. that's very telling. Uh, we got one question here from Les oh. Commission 7252. <laughs> Should Desperado hold and defend the junior belt against wrestlers from other promotions through the course of 2022? Well, I think that would be a really cool idea. I mean, you look at the junior division, and over the past two years, who hasn't Desperado wrestled, especially considering the single-block format of the Super Juniors tours the last couple of years. And, it, you know, there's not much left for him to do, but, you know, they kind of tease the whole thing with strong hearts. I wouldn't be opposed to him, like, doing a strong, a strong hearts feud, kind of similar to what we saw with, um, uh, God, what, with, uh, <laughs> who's the coach at the LA Dojo? Uh, Shibata. Yeah, why do I forget names? Yeah, when Shibata had the uh, fourth generation dad or third generation dad's uh, feud a, a few years back, that was kind of cool. And like, what if we saw him like wrestle El Lendeman and T Hawk and and Sema and all that? That would be really cool if something like that could be worked out. And you know, maybe he goes through two of those guys, drops the belt to one of them, has to redeem himself. You know, that could like easily eat up like three or four months of. You know, maybe more like five months of junior division title, and I think that that'd be a a cool thing to do. To where you could also, in the background, be heating up a Robbie Eagles or a Hiromu or whoever, so that you know you want to go in a different direction come Dominion time or something like that. But uh, who knows what New Japan's really trying to do when it comes to the uh, quote unquote domestic forbidden door? I don't know. Right, I mean, that would be the most intriguing thing to do, have him, yeah, face a strong heart or face um, some guys from other promotions, um, just something fresh, get some fresh challengers. And like we mentioned, you know, they've kind of, you know, crapped the bed with Show and Yo. Like, I don't want to see either of those guys uh, challenge Despy, and we've seen Despy Hiromi, we've seen Despy in ELP, we've seen Despy in Ishimori, like, we've seen Despy in Eagles. Like, he's faced everybody already. Um, and obviously, there, there are some... People who beat him in the Super Juniors that he could defend against, but I think to kind of shake some things up and get some fresh defenses, I think the most intriguing thing would be, yeah, bring in, you know, T-Hawk and Lindemann and, and Shima, face those guys, uh, bring in some guys from Noah and have them challenge and just have them kind of do something new and fresh while you're kind of rehabbing the division and rebuilding some guys. Yeah, I agree. So then we'll move on now to the Golden Series shows that happened on Sunday, February 13th. We had a pre-show match that opened up with Tenkoji teaming with Oiwa. They defeated the team of Fujita, Hunma, and Nagata Limits in seven seconds. Tenzon getting the Boston Crab victory over Fujita. Yeah. Um, so this means that Oiwa's in the W column? Yeah. <laughs> Like, for the first time ever, I think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so history was made. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, uh, this at 11 minutes is a little bit longer than I expected for a pre-show match, but, uh, you know, uh, it was very entertaining. The dads looked a little bit rougher than I kind of anticipated, kind of going back to the Hanma thing, and even, uh, you know, Tenkoji, both both guys, Tenkoji, weren't looking their best. The only guy that, like, looked fresh of the dads was, like, maybe Nagata for some reason, even though he uh, got his ass beat the night before. But, uh, <laughs> you know, fun match. 
Yeah, fun fun opener for the show. Then on the main card, we open up with the Chaos Trio of Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi defeating the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Sho, and Yujiro. Nine minutes, 49 seconds. Uh, pretty quick match up here. Didn't have a lot of time to get all their shenanigans in. Uh, there's a little bit, but uh, towards the end here, there was some miscommunication between the House of Torture, which allowed uh, Yo to get the win on Togo for a uh, bridge. Yeah, and it looked like they actually messed up the bridging pin because they started to do it with to- Dick Togo the first time, and then I think Dick Togo rolled all the way through the pin, and Yo kind of had to redo it. So a little bit of a miscommunication there. And again, um, I'm going to just say this. I think with all House of Torture matches at this point, I've become so like desensitized and uninterested that that whole thing about falling asleep uh i think you can pretty much just apply that to any house torture match at this point for the most part like if you're tired put one of these joints on you will be asleep (laughs) or you'll be on your phone paying attention to something that's more interesting yeah let's let's call them the house of sleep oh my god house (laughs) of slumber Uh, so next match, Great Ocon. He defeats Togi Makabe, seven minutes and 15 seconds. I mean, the only thing I could really say about this was it was a an undercard singles match. We, you know, we've already talked about how we're going to see that with Great Ocon on this tour due to uh, Jeff Cobb being out. But a uh, pretty basic match designed to put Great Ocon over. That's exactly what it needed to be. That's exactly what it was. Wouldn't call it a classic, but, you know, seven minutes, he hits the Eliminator and Togi Makabe, and we're off to the races. Yeah, fine matchup here. Makabe had to, had to do the big bump here for the Eliminator. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just more curious to see what's going to happen with Okan going forward, but I am glad that, you know, I, I do want Cobb to get better, but I'm glad that Okan has been able to get these uh, singles matches. Something tells me that had Cobb been healthy and they were doing the tag matches, we probably would have seen some sort of rehab job where Ocon was the guy getting all the pinfalls during those matches. Right, yeah. At least that's my, just knowing the way that uh, uh, Gato books, that just feels like what they probably would have done. And they, they were just like, you know what? Nothing really changes. We, you know, let's, we don't have any uh, tag members from the tag with, but let's just go ahead with that whole story and let's do it as singles. Yeah. So after that, we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromo, and Shingo. They defeated the Sukun team of Doki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. 10 minutes and 18 seconds. Yeah, um, you know, it was an LIJ six-man tag match, so it was good. Um, especially considering, you know, working with Doki, Taichi, and Kanamaru. I mean, this couldn't be anything but good. 10 minutes, pretty standard. Um... The one thing is, like, you know, we had that question about Shingo earlier, and nothing in this match really stood out to me as feeling like, you know, he's anywhere going to be close to title contention anytime soon. You know, maybe they do just have him on the back burner, but, uh, you know, I, he did hit Doki with the uh, the pumping bomber and, you know, got the big win, but, you know, this is just kind of like a middling whatever fill the card match. There's no feuds. There's no greater well, narrative. The, the interesting thing was post-match, uh, Shingo and Taichi were kind of staring each other down, and Shingo was kind of making a belt motion. There was some jaw-jacking there between Shingo and Taichi. To me, it kind of seemed like maybe they were both kind of jockeying for like, their New Japan Cup positions and saying they're going to win that. So maybe those guys end up being a first-round matchup. 
I guess so. I mean, I could definitely see that, but that doesn't even really feel like anything to me other other than just like a natural progression of, uh, you know, cups coming. They're going to be in it. Yeah. So the next matchup we had uh, Master Wato, Risuke Taguchi, and Toriano defeating the Suzuki team of El Sparado, Minoru Suzuki, and Taka. Noku, nine minutes and 17 seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, the big thing here, you know, we're handling the fallout of Desperado and, and Wato and all of that. And then, you know, obviously furthering the KOPW feud. Um, I don't know. You know, my, my big thing is like Suzuki and Yano, I, I enjoyed it a decade ago, but that was a decade ago. And nothing that's happened so far during this feud has really gotten me jazzed to see them wrestle in a dog kennel. Um, there was some funny stuff with the dog kennel in this match, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm not here to see them get heat on the dog kennel. <laughs> right. Um, in this match, too, there was a lot of focus on Taguchi and Wato, which we'll find out why when we talk about the next couple of matches. Uh, but they hit their uh, number nine uh, double face buster move on Taka to get the win for the team. Then post-match Suzuki, he got Yano in the cage, and then he put the handcuffs on Oiwa and Fujita because they tried to stop him, and they, they tried to uh, save uh, Yano out the cage. So he, he punished those young lions and getting this hyped for this, uh, this big dog cage match that's uh, coming up. Punish. <laughs> Uh, so the next up, we had uh, Tiger Mask defeating El Fantasmo by disqualification. Like I called last week, we did get the Heyman special here where uh, Ishimori came out to attack Tiger Mask, which got the DQ, which then rolled into the next matchup. Uh, Eagles comes to make the save, so they immediately start the match with Eagles and Taiji Ishimori and Eagles uh, for the first time ever defeat Taiji Mori, 11 minutes and 10 seconds. Yeah, the thing I kind of liked about this one, um, again, Tiger Mask seems revitalized. Phantasmo's pretty great. And, you know, ever since ELP got caught with the metal in his boot, uh, well, he hasn't really been back too much, but I, I think they were telling a good story where, like, he doesn't really have, like, that ace up his sleeve, you know, ready to just take anybody out. Right, and Tiger Mask seemed really apt to kind of like get his hands on him, very fired up. And, you know, the whole reason that there's a DQ at the end is because Tiger Mask seemed to have El Phantasmo in trouble, <laughs> as unbelievable as that is. The match was fine, but, uh, you know, like you said, they did do the Heyman special there. Yeah, I, I, the match was fine. Really enjoyed. I mean, it was a fun matchup. And, you know, ELP had new shoes, and the ref made sure to check his shoes uh, thoroughly before the match. Uh, so good back and forth there And um, Tiger Mask got ELP in that arm bar That he used to tap out Gato A couple days ago So he was in, in that position about to tap out But yeah Ishimori comes makes a save DQ and then it will lead into the Eagles And Ishimori which I thought was a Really good match in the story I didn't even realize uh, you know, Shout out to Kevin Kelly and Samsa for the stats Of you know Eagles never being uh, Able to beat Ishimori Before um, and you think with this junior tag title match, you would assume that one of the challengers was going to get the win. So ELP lost by DQ. I was thinking, oh, Ishimori is going to win this since uh, you know, the tag match is coming up. You want the challengers to look strong. Uh, but Eagles here, he gets his first win over Ishimori. Yeah. Uh, one thing, too, is Robbie Eagles was tweeting earlier this week, and uh, 
I don't know why, but the algorithm chose to show me that he was mentioning that this was his birthday. And so he was trying to get his first win over Ishimori as a, as a birthday gift to himself. Right. So, yeah, you know, big, big birthday gift here. He gets the, the big win, finally beats Ishimori. Champions are looking strong. Uh, you know, fun, fun matchup here. You know, Eagles always, I feel, always works hard no matter where he is on the card. Um, and so 11-minute match, nice, short, fun uh, junior match up here. So uh, after the matchup, we had uh, Team 6 or 9, Master Wato and Noguchi, they walked to the ring and seemed like they were trying to the angle for Matt since they just won and uh, Flying Tiger just beat the challengers in singles matches. Then we had Kanamaru and Despi coming out to throw their name in the hat. And so then Eagles got the mic and he was like, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom, we uh, beat two other teams at the same time. So how about we beat three other teams at the same time? Let's have a four-way match next weekend for the junior belt. So, uh, ELP and Ishimori getting screwed out of their straight-up tag match, and it's now going to be a four-way match for the junior titles. Well, you know, I, I, I kind of like that because we discussed earlier that, you know, it didn't really make a lot of sense from KFA perspective why Bull Club's cutest tag team was just straight-up getting the, the tag title shot over other established teams, especially like six or nine who were in that uh, three-way at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, they both lost the match, so why are they getting the immediate title shots? So the idea that they're going into a four-way, I don't know. That sounds a lot more fun and exciting to me than, you know, Eagles and Tiger Mask against Ishimori and Phantasmo. So, I mean, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, junior four-ways are always fun. And I think also you can kind of save that Bullet Club's Q's tag team versus Flying Tiger uh, match down the road, but I, I do have a feeling that you know uh, Team Six or Nine might finally accomplish uh, Taguchi's goal of becoming the 69th uh, Tag Champs here. Yeah, they could save that match that you mentioned for down the road, or just never do it, never get to it. I'd be fine with that too. Yeah, I had a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV it says, "Do you think that something is happening with Taguchi? When Rocky returned, he called them both kings, while Taguchi wanted to be called a prince during the League of Wrestle Kingdom." He Attacked both faces and heels. He seemed really upset with Rocky when they didn't become the 69 champions. He had a small argument with Watto in a backstage interview. What if he doesn't become the 69 champion and attacks Watto? No more six or nine. No more Mr. Nice Guy. You're looking at the real 69er, Prince Taguchi. Or does Gale just book him as champ? Hey, you know, this, uh... (laughs) You know, this whole thing about him being the real 69er, the Prince Taguchi, I'm all for that. If uh, if we've come full circle, you know, to uh, him adopting the Prince gimmick, I'm all about it. Like, that's fine for me. So this that would probably be the most interesting Taguchi's been in, like, 10 years. So why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a very uh, interesting scenario here, but I feel Taguchi at this point in his career, he's just happy getting a check. Going out there, hitting his uh, bumayes and doing his, uh, you know, Nakamura tributes and stuff like that. So, I don't he think... Did, he did point out some interesting things, though. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying that it's leading to what he's proclaiming, but why are they doing all these things? I mean, it's not like, you know, you could say it's like, oh, well, you know, New Japan always does stuff like this, but not consistently show after show with the same guy. They don't always do stuff like that. So, it, it could be leading to something. I don't know what, but it could just be, you know, his odyssey to become the 69th, you know, junior tag champion. And, and that's what's making him crazy. Or maybe something else could actually be going down. You don't know. Yeah. 
So moving on to the semi-main event here, we have the never open weight title lumberjack death match as the champion evil defended against Tomohiro Ishii. He defeats him in 20 minutes and 35 seconds. Um hmm. So when you compare this to the Wrestle Kingdom match that Evil and Ishii had, it's way beyond that in terms of quality. Much more entertaining, you know, a a better quality just overall, and a little bit more satisfying of a match. When you compare it to every singles encounter that Ishii and Evil had had prior to the uh, House of Torture switch, um, it, it pales in comparison because those matches were all pretty good um so this kind of falls somewhere in the middle i mean even if it was kind of entertaining for what it was it was still a bunch of house of torture bullshit and i guess your uh interest in the match or entertainment is going to really be dictated by how like over the or how over the uh house of torture shit you actually are you know if, if if it's something that you've only seen a bit of and you can kind of tolerate it in small doses this might have been better to for someone that's kind of been inundated with this stuff show after show after show you know i don't know i mean there's a lot of guys going in and out show yo dick togo goto you know it was it was fine we got a bunch of big match moves at the end there i thought ishii and evil were fine um, but again, this isn't really, you know, Ishii shouldn't just be having fine matches considering his track record. This is, a, again, another kind of like blight on his record of phenomenal, great singles matches, show after show, year after year. And, uh, you know, he, he's kind of bulletproof. It's not like he's going to be damaged by this the same way that Shore Yo are. But, uh, you know, it's fine. Yeah, uh, I thought, like you mentioned, definitely way better than the Wrestle Kingdom match. And you, it did help that this was a Lumberjack match. So you already had House of Torture out there. You already right. had Chaos out there. You already knew that there was going to be shenanigans that these guys were going to get involved. So it was a little bit better because they were, it was a part of the match rules. They were already out there. Chaos was fighting off House of Torture all throughout the matchup. And. You still got all the shenanigans, but it just it flowed better and it was uh, more entertaining. And I will say I really liked the closing stretch of this match. Yeah, they um, they got rid of both chaos and how the torture they they fought to the back, and then it was just straight up evil and Ishii. And these guys that kind of reminisced back to like you were mentioning some of those matches they had before. The how the torture turn and the, these guys were throwing you know forearms and exchanging lariats and they had this like this kind of great like crazy sequence uh, towards the end. They're they're trading clotheslines. Ishii's hitting his integrity and just kind of this quick back and forth. And um, evil reverses the the brain buster and he transitions so smoothly into the everything is evil. One two three. He ends up uh, pinning Ishii to retain the title here. Yeah, I mean it had its issues. For the most part, this was pretty entertaining. I, I like you. I agree. I thought that the stuff at the close, or anytime it was just them, especially after the rest of the guys kind of went to the back, very good, pretty hard hitting. Um, I'm not going to be suckered into thinking the match was better than it was just because Evil countered 
something into his finish in a smooth manner. We saw that with Jay White for so many years, and that's not going to make up for for a bad match, <laughs> right? Although although the finish was good, but uh, you know, I don't know. E- Evil still the never champ, so that's kind of you know we're we're gonna have to kind of continue on with the never run of evil, whatever that, you know, I can't imagine anyone that I even want to see evil wrestle for the never title moving forward. Um, but you know, it was fine. Yeah. Would you go? I'm like three and a quarter, I guess. Yeah. Like three and a quarter. Okay. Which I got, that's pretty, that's pretty good for an evil match nowadays. Yeah, but it shouldn't be. Look at what just in small increments, this might actually be, and I will say this, since he turned, since he literally became like House of Torture Evil, this is the first time I've even seen seen him do anything that I consider impressive in any match at all in two years. Yeah. The only time. Even there are other matches that I like better, like uh in the in his first G one post turn. I thought that the Zack Sabre Jr. and Yoshihashi matches were pretty good, but most of it was not because of him. It was because of the guys he's working with. This is the first time where I like actually saw him show fight and show fire, and I still don't care. Yeah, I mean, at this point... <laughs> it, should, it shouldn't take two years to show this. Right, at this point, it's a little too late. It's like they've already kind of established what he is, and a, a, a good closing sequence once in two years is not going to erase everything else he's done. Right. Uh, so we move on to the main event here, a big tag team matchup, the LIJ team of Sonata and Naito, the title challengers. They defeated the Mega Aces, this championship team. They call them the Dream Team, the U.S. champ, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Kalushiko Okada, 33 minutes and 28 seconds. Um, yeah, I thought this was really good. Um, I thought anytime it was Tanahashi or Okada interacting with Naito, it was very good. I thought anytime it was Tanahashi and Sonata interacting, it was good. Uh, Okada Sonata's interactions during the match didn't do a lot for me. And, kind of reminded me why I've never been high on that pairing. You know, we didn't see too much of that during the six-mans, but there were times where they were squared off in this match, and it reminded me of the the many series that they've had where I'm just like, God, are we still doing this? But, um, you know, everybody, like, for the most part, was really good here. Uh, You know, this was a bit of a longer match. Uh, The big question going into it, obviously, was sort of, you know, who really can take the pinfall here because you don't really have an established pin eater, you know, and that's kind of what the benefit of the six-man tags were. And here, you know, you, you didn't really have that. So this something a, a bit more definitive was going to come out of it. But, um, you know, nothing here wowed me, but nothing here disappointed me either. I thought this was a very good main event. I'm under four stars, but like, yeah, probably like three and three quarters on it. And, um, you know, like Naito hitting the Destino on Okada before, you know, adding one to Tanahashi to secure the victory. That was really cool. I liked the match. Uh, I thought it was probably, I don't know, what would you call this match of the night? Yeah, I'll say it's a match of the night. And I was right there with you, three and three quarters. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. A lot of good stuff to really further interest in both of those title matches coming up. And 
yeah, very interesting here with Naito hitting the Destino on Tanahashi to get the, the win for the team here so that the U.S. champ eats a loss here. So that kind of puts some uh, doubt in your, your mind on whether or not he's going to defeat Sonata this coming weekend. But I think it's very smart because if Naito loses to Okada, then you already kind of have a, a built-in um, Tanahashi-Naito match if Tanahashi retains in you know, you could potentially do the next U.S. title match is Tanahashi versus Naito. Yeah, the the one thing that I thought was really great were were all the near falls towards the tail end of this match. And I know New Japan is kind of known for that, but like these guys really were hitting their stride towards towards the finish. There a lot of like just really 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 good near falls. I was kind of biting on a few of them there, and yeah, I like the booking of this. And you called it last week. You said, you know, that the Mega Aces were probably going to lose because they don't have the greatest track record as a tag team and makes all the sense in the world why Sonata Naito went over here and kind of establishes some doubt and, you know, adds credibility to Naito as a challenger going into the world title shot and potentially has other storyline implications down the road when these guys all inevitably meet up again because they are the big single stars of the company right now. So, yeah. So that was it for this weekend's uh, Golden Series show. Uh, there was a Golden Series show today, and uh, Tenzon missed today's Golden Series show due to a knee injury. New Japan announced prior to today's show that Tenzon would miss the card due to a pre-existing knee injury. He was scheduled to be in an elimination match in the the main event in Korokin, teaming with Yano, Nagata, Taguchi, and Wato against Suzuki Goon. Uh, the match was made into an eight-man tag elimination bout instead with Doki. Uh, being out of the match on Sugan Tide. Uh, Tenzon is still scheduled for uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday's Golden Series shows, including facing the great Okan in a singles match on Sunday's uh, final night of the tour. Uh, no announcement has been made to this point regarding his status on the remainder of the tour. Yep. So we have one, two, three, four, five big shows coming up before next week's episode. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say big show. So we had, uh, there was a show today. Well, I was, whenever I say big show and I'm talking about golden series, I'm being facetious. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So the show today, and then there's two VOD shows on the 16th and 17th. And then the big shows are Saturday and Sunday, the final two nights of the tour where we have our big uh, title matches on both of those shows. Okay, so we can run down these cards, maybe save our predictions for, you know, the meaningful matches on the final nights. Um, so from today's show, which by the time you're listening, maybe you've seen it, maybe not, who knows. But uh, we have Great Ocon. Um, or do you want me to give away the uh, results here? Yeah, you can go Does for it. Matter? it, does, it you can go for it. I haven't seen the show yet, but, I mean, I put the results here, so I mean. I'm... So the Great Ocon defeated Kosei Fujita, 5 minutes, 43 seconds. Second match of the night, Flying Tiger and Kojima defeated the Bull Club team of Phantasmo, Jado, and Ishimori. Third match of the night, LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Sonata. They defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi, Uewa, and Tomoaki Hanma. Fourth match, we had the Chaos team of Yo and Yoshihashi as they defeated the House of Torture team of Sho and Yujiro Takahashi by disqualification. Fifth match of the night, the Chaos team of Goto and Ishii defeated the House of Torture team of Dick Togo and Evil. So, finally giving the people what they want. Goto and Ishii. Yes. 
Six match of the night, the semi-main event, the LIJ team of Shingo Takagi and Tetsuya Naito. They defeated Okada and Togi Makabe. Wonder who took the pinfall there. <laughs> and then uh, the main event was an eight-man tag elimination match as the Suzuki Goon team of Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, Taiji, or I'm sorry, Taichi, and Yoshinabu Kenamaro. They defeated the team of Master Wato, Taguchi, Yano, and Yuji Nagata. That just sounds like can't miss action there. So <laughs> I'm sure it was a fun main event. Uh, we've got the video demand show coming up on February the 16th as Great Okan takes on Kosei Fujita. Flying Tiger and Oiwa take on Suzuki Goon team of Desperado, Taichi, and Kenamaru. Tenzan, Wato, and Taguchi will be wrestling Phantasmo, Gato, and Ishimori. Yano and Nagata will be taking on Doki and Minoru Suzuki. Great Bash Heel will be to end Hiroshi Tanahashi will be uh, taking on Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, and Sonata. Semi-main event, Okada and Kojima versus Shingo and Naito. And then there's an eight-man tag elimination match for the main event as the cast team of Goto, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi will be taking on the House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah, get into it. All right, and then... uh, (laughs) The uh, next video on demand show, February 17th, we've got Okana versus Oiwa, Wato Taguchi Hanma versus Flying Tiger and Fujita, Doki Desperado and Kanemaru versus ELP, Jado and Ishimori, Yano and Nagata will be taking on Minoru Suzuki and Taichi, um, Ishii and Yo versus Sho and Yujiro, the semi main event, Goto and Yoshihashi versus Dick Togo and Evil. And then the main event, a 10-man tag team elimination match. If you haven't gotten your fill of those matches, you get one more here as Tenkoji, Tanahashi, Okada, and Makabe will be taking on the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. So those are your preview VOD matches that are coming up this week. And then at the week's end, February 19th and February 20th, we have the big shows for New Japan's Golden Series. And, uh, Jeremy, you want to give us those rundowns so we can uh, discuss any of the bigger matches? Yep, so Saturday, February 19th, show open up, we'll have Vegeta and Makabe taking on Doki and Takamichinoku. Then Oiwa and Toriyana will team up to take on Suzuki and Taichi. Then we'll have the Chaos team of Ishii and Yo taking on House of Torture team of Dick Togo and Sho. Then we'll have Tomioka Hanma versus Great Okan in a special singles match. Then uh, Tenkoji will team up with Okada and Yuji Nagata to take on Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, and Naito. Then we will have... And we are five matches in, and there's not a single match that I'm like, wow, that is a uh, Golden Series worthy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, you know, six matches of the card. We, we finally get a, a, a big match up here. So, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title four-way match that we talked about is now four-way as Fly and Tiger defends. Against uh, Team 6 or 9, Wato and Gucci, Bull Club's cutest tag team, ELP and Taiji Shimori, and the Zugun team of El Esperado and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. So will yeah, Team the- 6 or 9 become the 69th champions, or will we get a new champs, or will Fly and Tiger retain? You know, it, this is a tough one for me because it's like we've seen Phantasmo and Ishimori hold these titles for prolonged periods, especially even just last year. And then that even goes double for Desperado and Kanemaru. So it's like, I don't necessarily want to see either of those two teams hold these titles again. I kind of feel like Eagles and Tiger Mask have sort of been a fresh, you know, sort of like a refreshing um, presence in the junior division. And 
believe it or not, kind of have like some fresh matchups still on the table for them as champions. So I don't see why you would take the belt off them unless there's uh, some reason that Eagles couldn't like continue to work, you know, in the country where it seems like more and more that's becoming less of an issue. Um, but the big question is Wato and Taguchi, are they going to fulfill that like, you know, destino or that destiny for, for Taguchi to be the 69th junior tag team champions or is there going to be heartbreak here part of me wants it to be a heartbreak because i kind of like some of that uh you know some of those booking suggestions that we got from the uh question asker earlier in the show but then the alternative is like i don't want to see q's tag team or suzuki Goon win these titles and you know eagles and tiger mask retaining that feels very much unlike the way new japan books their junior titles they're usually hot potatoed all over the place. So I guess I kind of got to go with Wato and Taguchi, I suppose. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with uh, Team 6 or 9 here. I feel like they've been, you know, heating them up and trying to shift on real confidence, especially with Wato. You know, he's had a lot of comments and interviews he's done recently and, you know, having some shots at uh, Kiyomiya and, um, you know, just this confidence that he got in the feud with Desperado and taguchi has been a little bit more serious as well, so... Um, I think these guys will, will capture the belts here, and Taguchi will finally be the 69th uh, tag champ. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I don't know even really that I care who wins it. My big, uh, I, I think it'd be fun to kind of just see what's going to come about from this little mini story with Wato and Taguchi, especially Taguchi's part in it. So that's the cool part. But then, you know, a four-way title match for the junior titles seems like forever since we've had one of those, and that sounds really fun so hopefully the match is just you know i want a throwback match i want them doing high-flying crazy spots i want this you know clap crowd to be on the edge of their seats like trying not to make noise but they're you know you hear that audible like the gasps that's what i'm hoping for out of this so yeah that that would be good if they did that so in the semi-main event here we have the tag team title match and and cage match has this team listed as uh bishamon I guess that's yeah. That's their that's their official tag team name. Okay, so the the team, the, the champions, Rocky Goto and Yoshihashi, they will defend their tag titles against House of Tortures, Evil, and Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah, that Vishimon name goes back to I believe when they first teamed together during World Tag League, and um, that kind of used to be a thing where like a lot of the teams would have these obscure tag team names that would be bestowed upon them during Tag League, and you'd you wouldn't really know about it because throughout the year they wouldn't be tagging together, but then you'd see it on the graphics. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, yeah, they are Bishamon. I don't know how, like, publicized that that's ever really been because they're always just, like, the chaos tag team. But, yeah, that's the deal. Gotcha. So who do you think's um, winning here? You think the Bishamon's retaining or is Evil going to become Evil Three Belts here? God, I, I don't know, bro. I, like, I don't know. Uh, do you do you have like a gut feeling after having watched all this house of torture bullshit uh, as far as to what's gonna play out here? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm leaning towards Goto and Yoshihashi retaining. I, I don't see the need to put a third belt on Evil. Uh, you already have him with the Never Belt. He's already one third of the Never Six Man Champs. I really don't think they just put the tag tiles on him as well. And insert him into three different divisions here. 
Um, Wouldn't that feel a little bit like overcompensating for the failure of this entire like angle and, and push to yeah. be like, it's not failing. He's got three belts. <laughs> right. Uh, and I feel like you, you need to give chaos something. I mean, they've lost a lot of the big matchups. So Ishii lost to evil. Uh, Yo lost to show. So these guys need something here. So I, I think, yeah, Goto and Yoshiashi should uh, retain here. You've also talked me into it. The other thing too here is Yujiro being there just screams pin eater. Right. Yeah. So there's that. Um, I'm not looking forward to that match at all. Me either. Just throwing it out there. So let's just hope it's it's passable. Uh, I'm hoping. <laughs> let's go to the main event here, which is, should be a very good main event. We have the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Title on the line. The champ, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, will defend against the Cold Skull Sonata. Yeah, this is an interesting one. And, you know, this is kind of the same talking point we come up with every single year, but it always remains true, so it has to be stated. Um, Whoever wins this will be going into New Japan Cup as champion, usually. And that's a dead giveaway that they're not going to be winning the New Japan Cup, you know. And the guy that loses also likely won't win New Japan Cup, but definitely stands a much better chance at being a finalist or being a uh, more of a prime player than the champion does uh, as far as the U.S. title goes. So, um, you know, they're telling a story here with Tanahashi. It's not after Tanahashi coming off of that very brutal and very personal grudge match, you know, hate-filled match they had with Kenta in the Dome. And him and Sonata, this is more of a, a, a feud built on respect, mutual respect, and, you know, Tanahashi trying to prove that he still has it when it comes to, you know, the technical aspects of wrestling and prove that he is still able to go on that level with a guy that's as respected when it comes to the catch stylings of Sonata. So, um, I don't know how good the match will be. I mean, you would imagine, considering who's in it, that it could be very, very good. And I mean, that's not outside of the realm of possibility. But then at the same time, it's like, I've seen a lot of singles matches with Sonata not really live up to the expectations. Uh, and then Tanahashi recently hasn't maybe been looking his best. But the preview matches have been good, and that gives me a lot of hope considering the interactions they've had. so Yeah, and, and these I'm, guys have had pretty good singles matches in the past. Um, so I, I, oh, like in the G1? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, the G1 matches, I feel like they wrestled somewhere else, too. Um, but, yeah, the, their singles matches have always been good, and the preview matches have been good, so I have no you know, doubt of this match. This is going to be like a great main event, uh, a minimum four stars. Um, that's what I was going to say. What's, what's your over-under? It's four? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's probably fair. Um, I don't know what to think, though, because, you know, Sonata, at this point in time, if he's been with the company since, what, 2015, 2016? I can't remember the exact date, but it's like five. Well, I think wow. that, I think it's six years that he's been with them. Because that's the whole he, talking point, that it's been six years that he has not won a single IWG, a singles IWGP title yet. He's held no singles titles of any sort, whether they be from the Never, whether they be from the IWGP or the NJPW. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Like this guy's only held tag gold. So um, 
this could be like his quote-unquote crowning moment. Um, at this time, does the U.S. title feel like the number two belt to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel with the never belt going back to Ishii and then down to Evil, I feel like that's kind of slotted back. It was slotted kind of back down with Ishii, and then with Evil, it's like down. And then with Tanahashi winning the title off of Archer, um, and then the Tanahashi-Kenta feud, I think they definitely try to elevate that to kind of IC status. There's a part of me that's wondering if they go with Sonata. We've seen them put him in prominent spots in the past, but never go full bore. You know, he's challenged for the IWGP title many times. He's, uh, you know, been a finalist in the New Japan Cup, a finalist in the G1. And I'm wondering if, like, considering that it's Tanahashi, who's kind of bulletproof, maybe they pull the trigger on Sonata here. Yeah, they definitely could. I just feel like that's um, a little hot potatoing with the U.S. belt because you had Tanahashi win it, then he loses it to Kenta, and Kenta loses it back to Tanahashi, so then this would be Tanahashi losing it again on, on a first defense to Sonata, so kind of hot, hot potatoing the, the belt there. Um, Plus, the uh, the other big case would be, you know, potential money matches down the road with Tanahashi and guys like John Moxley, which they kind of were alluding to and teasing in the past. Plus, you know... Uh, a potential Archer rematch as well, which was also teased in the past. But, you know, plans change, so it's hard to know if they still have those uh, negotiations on the table or plans. Right. The other thing, too, Tanahashi's a big enough star. He doesn't need a title to make a match with Mox mean something. So there's right. also that. And I'm also thinking back to that tag match with Naito pinning Tanahashi, and I don't feel that was done by accident. I feel like we could get a, a Naito-Tanahashi-US match come April or May. That's possible too. Um, because I don't, I don't see a lot of titles changing on this tour, but that seems very unlike February. I'm, and I know it's hot potatoing, but like booking's been weird in New Japan. I'm calling for Sonata to win this title. Well, I, I got, I got to back the ace. I feel like any time that I've. Picked against the ace or doubted him. He's pulled through and, and got the win. So I, I'm going to ride with Tanahashi on this one. Yeah, I've been wrong picking against Tanahashi many times. It doesn't mean I don't ride with the ace. I still ride with the ace. You think I'm going to be cheering on for Sonata? <laughs> Anyone listens to this podcast knows how I feel about Sonata. But I'm just trying to be accurate here. And uh, I got this feeling. Sonata, I got a little uh, a twitch in my bone, you know? Mm. I think Sonata might got this. So a question here from Les Commission 7252. If Tanahashi retains against Sonata, should Chase Owens be the next contender after defeating him in the G1 or face Tanahashi in the first round of the New Japan Cup and get another victory over the ace? They never did pay off that story, and I'm a big fan of them paying off stories. They're, you know, that 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 was a huge upset, obviously. Chase Owens beating Tanahashi. I do feel like that maybe they should have paid that back at some point. So why not? You know, a little holdover feud, you know, in March. Why not? Right. I think it's something you could do on maybe like a Korokin show, you know, instead of doing, you know, an elimination match for the 10th time in a row, like do a title match with Tanahashi and Chase Owens and just, you know, something special. And obviously, Tanahashi's going to beat Chase. And yeah, it'd be a fun match. So, uh, next question here from Hawaiian Punch BV is another handsome battle on the horizon? Well, if I recall, the two in the past were Tanahashi versus Hangman Adam Page, and the other one was Kota Ibushi versus 
uh, Cody Rhodes. So is this a Cody question or is he just alluding to the idea that Tanahashi and Sonata are both very handsome or is he talking about someone else? I don't know what, what I don't know what he means exactly. You know, initially I thought it was relating to Tanahashi and Sonata, but now that you mentioned Cody, it might have been a Cody question. So, like, what? Tanahashi and Cody? Is Sonata not handsome enough? Or maybe he's just well, saying, are, are we going to get... Because the handsome battle was what? Sonata... Who was it? It was Cody and Ibushi? I told you, it was Cody and Ibushi, yeah. but the second one was Tanahashi and Hangman Adam Page. Yeah. So maybe he's saying... I think maybe he was probably talking about Cody, or we're going to see Cody and Ibushi again. I mean, who knows? Well, wait, but what would that have to do with... Uh, with this title match, because no, I, I thought he was he would meant this match. Oh, so this was a Cody question, just in general. See, I thought it made sense because Tanahashi and Sonata are both so handsome. Right, that's what I thought. That's why I put it here first. But then you mentioned the Cody thing, and I was like, oh, he was probably saying that to reference Cody. Or maybe he was unintentionally implying that Cody is better looking than both Tanahashi and Sonata without even knowing it. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, because why wouldn't you bring up Handsome Battle to specifically discuss Tanahashi and Sonata? Right. Know, why would you only apply it to Cody? That's fucked up, especially <laughs> since Cody wasn't even in the second Handsome Battle. Right. I, I'm taking this to mean that we're getting Sonata and Hangman Adam Page somewhere down the line in Handsome Battle 3 is what I take this as. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if that happens. Uh, so moving on to Sunday show, the final night of the Golden Series Tour. February 20th, show open up with Team 6 or 9 and Kojima taking on Desperado, Taka Michinoku, Michinoku and uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Flying Tiger will team Fujita to take on ELP, Jado, and Taiji. Oiwa and Ishii will take on Doki and Taichi. Tenzan will take on Great Okan if he's cleared. Uh, Great Bash Heel <laughs> will take... <laughs> what? It's fucked up. Well, he has a knee injury. He might not be clear for this show. Yeah, I get it. It's <laughs> just it just sounds so funny. <laughs> uh, great bash heel team of Tanahashi and Nagata to take on Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Chingo. Then we will have our first uh, title match of the evening here for the KOPW Provisional Trophy with the Dog Cage match as the champion, provisional champion, Suzuki will defend against Toriano. Death taxes and Yano defeats Suzuki in singles matches. That's what's happening here. Yeah, and I, I think you pretty much call a scenario where, you know, Yano kind of does a banana peel kind of victory here and tricks Suzuki to fly into the cage. So um, then I, I, I don't even remember that. That's how, like, little – I probably <laughs> threw some bullshit theory out there and – that probably is – what did I say? <laughs> Pretty much that. You said that like, Yano's going to – you can see that if they do the dog cage, it's an easy way for Yano to kind of get the win and trap, oh, yeah. get Suzuki to fall into the cage. And it's, it's such a picture. I can picture Suzuki getting the cage, being all pissed off that he's trapped in the cage, and he's trying to break out the cage, and the young lines are trying to Yano's get – Yano's laughing at him. Right. Young lines yeah. are trying to get him out, and he grabs the young lines arm, like arm bars somebody when he's still in the cage, and, yeah, I, I can totally see that. He's going to get his heat back afterwards. He's going to beat those guys, call off, and then, you know – we we continue with the KOPW Yano show. It should be very alarming that Yano has won this KOPW trophy two times in a year. What are the chances of that? I mean, I feel like the IWGP should be looking into this whole thing well, and checking the validity of it. I don't, I don't think that's under their jurisdiction. That's the that's the KOPW committee under Kazusuke Okada. <laughs> yeah. 
Okada, does, Okada does not have time to be checking into the inner workings <laughs> of the, you know, the validity of KOPW, whether it's operating, you know, under fair grounds or not. Yeah. And now with uh, Suzuki being announced for Dallas and Chicago, I highly doubt he's flying over with uh, the KOPW trophy. Because uh, well, I mean, well, I mean, you that trophy. He's not flying with the real trophy. It'd be the provisional trophy, and it's so small. It would fit in a carry on. Right. Not, not so much about the, the size of it, but just the fact that New Japan of America seems to stay away from the funny business, and I, I really don't see, you know, a KOPW match happening in, in Dallas or Chicago. You don't know. It's WrestleMania weekend. There's a lot of meme wrestlers out there. And it's true. Hey, they could probably. It make, is WrestleCon. They could probably finally do their uh, Orange Cassidy match, maybe. Oh my God. Don't even give them. My girlfriend wants to see that match so bad. I'm like, I'm like why? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Yano getting the win here. Yeah, I think Yano is going to, you know, continue his uh, illustrious KOPW run. Then he's going to be involved with KOPW longer than like Hogan was WWF champion. The first time. <laughs> uh, then the semi-main event for the never open weight six man tag team titles, the champs house of torture, evil show and neutral will defend against Hiroki Goto, yo and Yoshihashi. I don't know, man. It's I, I don't know. It's the never open weight six man tag team titles. They they change hands a lot. I would be apt to say that Chaos wouldn't win here because you know how long the the original Chaos trio held those titles. It seems too soon to like bounce it back to them. But the fact that this team doesn't have Ishii on it and it has Yo, I don't see why not. Why they couldn't just throw it on these random three guys? Because why are they? Why would it matter versus? the three guys that are holding it now, it's all kind of random anyways. Right. I I don't know. I think with Goto and Yoshihashi retaining uh, the first night, I'm going to say that House of Torture will retain here. I think they'll continue to play up evil being double never champion uh, going forward. Yeah, I guess the double never angle could play something into how they book it. I just think it's such a not, and it's interesting to say this because for so long over the past year or so the never open weight six man tag team titles did mean something and you know headlined so many corkins and were involved in in great programs but that's long gone ever since they've been around the uh the waist of house of torture so i mean it's right back to its original status and just to me not meaning anything i know it's here in the semi-main event spot on a pretty big show which is a little surprising but i think that's more a detriment to uh or or an indictment on the razor thin roster and the way they're spreading their shows so then versus the actual you know validity of the open weight six-man tag team title so i don't think it matters who they go on one way or the other i guess i'll just call chaos winning because why not right i mean it's, it is in their six-man these titles normally would bounce around so they, they could do a tile switch here so the other thing too is like like you mentioned House of Torture have gotten the upper hand so often during this feud. This is the final like big cap match for them. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like maybe Goto, Yo and Yoshihashi should get the upper hand at the end of the feud. Because why? Who cares? It's the six man titles, right? So that's my that's my prediction. 
So now we go to the main event. We have the IWGP World Heavyweight title on the line. Kazuchika Okada will make his first defense of the title. Defending against the leader of Los Ingobernables de Japón, Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a very, very long time since we've seen Okada Naito in a singles capacity. And it's been a v- even longer time since it's been on a show that wasn't a Tokyo Dome or a Wrestle Kingdom. So um, I'm very interested in this match. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's uh, got great expectations and definitely I think it can deliver. I don't know if it will. But um, I'm calling this as probably the likely leader for match of the month and to probably be a classic considering, you know, both of these guys have a lot to prove at this stage of, you know, New Japan's year for 2022 and also for just what's going to stand in front of them going forward. So um, that being said, I think Okada's got to retain. I think it's way too soon for him to drop the title. And I, I don't see the company going with Naito as the guy that that they roll with again after what happened last time. Yeah, I think Okada gets to retain here. I think we're going to see a pretty lengthy Okada run as the world champion. It's the 50th year anniversary. He is the you know, the main guy. Um, with him on top, you know, they did their best business, and they're, they're trying to recoup. So I think it makes a ton of business sense and storyline sense for Okada to, to hold a championship for a while. I think it'll be a... Excellent matchup. These guys always seem to have great matchups. Um, and we've seen a story now of both guys kind of targeting the knees and Naito really bolt kind of bulls on, on Okada's knee, and then Naito just has bad knees in general, so it's always a, a good place <laughs> to attack. Uh, right. So we've seen that play out in the previous matches. We'll probably see that play out in this match. Both guys will probably be going for like it works and kind of building into their traditional sequences. But yeah, I definitely think uh, Naito will be eating a rainmaker here and we'll have to try again in the year. Well, my big concern is Naito, um, you know, they told a similar story in January with Cobb and apparently he put Cobb on the shelf. Who's to say that wasn't purposeful. Mm. What if he tries to go after Okada's knees, but not, not, not for fake, but like for real. And then, you know, and then what happens? Then they have to award Naito the title, anyways. He might shoot on this man. He could. Good. Wouldn't be the first time someone's been shot on in a main event spot in New Japan. <laughs> but uh, um, no, in all seriousness, I echo the same sentiments you had. Uh, these guys tend to have really great matches, and at this point, I think it's really the the only main like match that I'm looking forward to on the whole entire tour, basically. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, I would say the tour has pretty much been like built to this. This is the the big match, the main match up here, and so, like you mentioned earlier, this is going to be the match of the month for February. This will be the best match of the whole tour, and it's all kind of surrounded that. Um, and so, yeah, Depen- I, depending on how Suzuki and Yano. <laughs> Um, you know, this, this has been a, a long tour. This tour has been going throughout from January and, and until now. So uh, it's, it's been a lengthy tour. We've had a, a lot of multi-man matches, a lot of House of Torture versus Chaos. Um, so it's going to be a treat to um, conclude the tour with this uh, big matchup here. With, with good wrestling? Yes. 
Okay. But I, um, I, I'm very excited, though, for, for March because, you know, we have anniversary show and New Japan Cup. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think March will be a better in-ring month for uh, New Japan. So we are both predicting a great final main event here for the tour, and I think we both have Okada going over. Yep. And uh, two questions here. First from No Alarms, 1995, says, who will be the one to eventually take the title off Okada? That's a great question. I I don't know right now. Um, I don't have strong feelings about you know that far down the road personally. I I don't know. Yeah, it's so hard to tell. Like we've been saying the last few episodes, predicting stuff in New Japan this year has just been really hard. With just especially what they're doing, all these throwback anniversary shows. Some shows are not where they're they're normally at. Um, we still don't have guidance coming in. Like, there's so many factors and variables. It's kind of hard to predict and tell who's next. Um, and again, I don't see Okada losing the belt for a while. I mean, I think the the guy who probably should beat him, but I don't know if will will happen. It will be Will Osprey. Yeah, that that makes the most sense to me based on you know uh, the main event of the most recent Tokyo Dome show and their recent past and series of matches but uh i don't know like i still feel like it's too early to see how that's going to play out because i i think that's probably targeted if it is going to happen for tokyo dome next year you're right and and like i just uh i don't know this is one where i do have to see what happens over the next coming months to get a feel for g1 season and stuff like that because like you mentioned i think okada's gonna have a lengthy reign as well Next question here from Dom Hui 101. Is it possible that Okada versus Naito match goes to a time limit draw? Yeah, uh, I think it's definitely possible. Um, that seems to be the current trend in wrestling nowadays. AEW and Stardom, different groups running, you know, um, hour-long draws, 45-minute you know, draws, stuff like that. But um, I don't know. Had we discussed that? I think you actually might have even brought up that idea. No, uh, no, we talked about a time limit draw for that that tag match because we didn't know. Cause there was both that was my idea, yeah. Yeah, uh, but for this match, I, I hadn't considered a time limit draw. I was just assuming, you know, Okada's going to to beat Naito. Um, I mean, they could do it, but I feel like you want to start Okada off strong, um, just kind of have him have a strong defense and be, beating people decisively. And I feel like, you know, Naito's not going to get hurt by the loss, and they've kind of already set something up for Naito by beating Tanahashi. He can kind of slide into that U.S. challenger. And I think having Naito eventually be U.S. champion could be a good thing to help elevate that belt. And LIJ is very popular in the States, and you could bring Naito over and run strong and, and do some forbidden door stuff, and it'd be, it'd be cool. Well, I think I do agree with you when you say that uh, they need to make Okada look strong coming off of Tokyo Dome. But there could be an argument the opposite uh, way where, you know, it's Okada. He already does look strong. It's not like having a a draw with um, Naito would necessarily damage him going forward. You know what I mean? Right. Considering who it is. Yeah. And there are those individuals out there that are speculating as to, since they're already cashing in on this match outside of the Tokyo Dome for the first time in a while, they might have a, a series of matches this year. We've also kind of theorized that as well. Well, if you did a draw... That's an easy way to, you know, logically book another match between them. Maybe say at Dantaku. Mm. 
in the uh, Pepe Dome. Yeah. And and this is a match where you can you get a lot of um, usage out of this match because they've done it so sparingly in the past, and it's still a draw. Maybe that is what they do. Yeah, definitely a possibility. Well, because I mean, think about it the other way, like. Because they're wrestling now, it, there's a high likelihood they'll probably be in the G1 together, right? Right. But until then, if Okada wins, unless like some, unless like Naito wins the New Japan Cup, which I doubt is happening, or some other unforeseen circumstance, it's not likely he's getting another shot at Okada. But if they go to a draw, then you can easily do it. I think that's why people are kind of guessing this. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely could happen. I mean, we've seen tons of draws happen in title matches before in New Japan, so it could happen. Um, I mean, uh, either way, I think the match is going to be great, regardless if it's uh, a draw or Okada wins the matchup. So we'll see what happens. That is this weekend, the conclusion of the Golden Series Tour. I think they've uh, kind of, you know, gotten me to come over to the draw side of things. Mm, stardomism. Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's jump over to uh, New Japan of America. We had uh, New Japan Strong this past weekend, a new beginning USA tour. Show opened up. We had Hikaleo defeating Cody Chun, making his strong debut. Yeah, uh, pretty impressed here. Um, I haven't seen Cody Chun before, but um, I thought he had a good look. Um, You know, young guy, I think that he still has some uh, filling out of his frame. Probably, but, you know, athletically, the guy looked like he had the goods. I thought he had a probably a better match with Hikaleo than almost any of the other, like, uh, outside talent that they decided to pair up with him over the past year or so. Um, and one thing I did notice, though, Cody Chun, his, uh, his tights ripped, and I was like, damn, that sucks. You know, because if you're, like, an independent guy, you get, like, these sparkly, golden, you know, like, trunks probably for, like, TV or First big time, you know, in a big match like that, national television or whatever, and then your fucking tights rip. Like, I'd be so pissed. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I thought he looked really good. Um, he's a you know a Seattle native, wrestles in Def- Defy in that area, so the crowd was totally behind him and uh, really wanted to see him get the upset over Hikaleo. But uh, Hikaleo, man, he was throwing this man all over the place, had some big heavy chops and. Uh, ultimately hit him with a big choke slam right in the uh, lion mark center there and got the win over Cody Chun. I hope Hick Leo like offered to uh, reimburse him for his ripped tights. (laughs) Uh, Then the next matchup we had Josh Barnett returning back to strong. He defeated Ren Narita 10 minutes and 15 seconds. You want the hot take? Yeah. I was not impressed with this match. Mm. It was fine, um, but I thought that this was one of the lower-end Red Narita singles matches since he's come to North America, mm. and this really didn't compare for me stylistically to, like, say, the Barnett-Coglin match. Uh, it was fine. They were out there working, but it didn't jump in any, like, special gear for me. I kind of thought this was kind of mid, honestly, and pretty disappointing yeah you know and i had heard a couple of reviews of this match before i got a chance to watch it and they seemed pretty high and pretty excited about the match and i'm like oh it's barnett and it's narita and right. i watched it and it was just like all right they're wrestling 
and they're doing holds. I'm like, okay, pick it up. Let's, you know, and they just never really picked it up until towards the very end where, like, uh, Narita hits a big, like, belly-to-belly, and then uh, Barnett hits, like, a, a big Saido dangerous suplex on uh, Narita, and, like, towards the very end, they kind of hit it up, and then it was over. Yeah. Um, totally agree. I mean, if there were two guys to work that style that you'd expect fireworks from, it's Barnett and Arita, but I don't know what the deal was. They didn't seem to be inspired that night to really like go out there and perform on that level. They just kind of had an okay match. There wasn't even much narrative. It, just stuff was happening, and uh, it was all competent, but considering Barnett and Arita, I thought this was going to be a lot better. Yeah. So in the main event of the show, we had Finn Juice. They defeated the team of Bad Dude Tito and Jonah, 11 minutes and 51 seconds. This, I, I liked this match a lot. And one reason I really liked it is they borrowed heavily from um, some of the like mid-Atlantic style, like Southern tag team wrestling tropes that you'd see. You know, oftentimes we're used to seeing like the heat and then the cutoff and then the hot tag comeback leading to the finish. And this completely followed a different uh, strategy. They kept teasing that Dave Finley during the heat segment was going to get the hot tag to juice, but he kept getting cut off. Bad dude, Tito and Jonah seemed to have an answer every single step of the way. And ultimately their overconfidence became their undoing because Finley and juice never did get that hot tag, but that actually opened up, uh, an opportunity for Dave Finley to get the pinfall on Bad New Tito out of nowhere. So it kind of reminded me of like those old Rock and Roll Express type matches where like they're getting beat down, beat down. You think the comeback's coming, and no, Ricky Morton actually gets the roll up, and it's you know this big shock surprise. And I thought that was a little bit different. You don't see that every day anymore, right? And I just kind of love the kind of that kind of old school of like they make the the babyface make the tag, the ref didn't see it, so they have to he has to send yep. the guy back to the corner. Um, they did a good job with that spot, and uh, I mean, Jonah and Badu Tito were, you know, breaking the rules and cheating, and smartly just kind of working behind the refs back to, you know, keep the advantage over Finn Juice until the very end there, where they failed to do the double team, and then, like you mentioned, Finley was able to roll up Badu Tito. Yeah, and I mean, uh, it makes sense they would have won too, being that they're such a, you know, Finn Juice is such an established. Uh, tag team you know multiple time world champion and everything like that but uh that also tells me that this is their probably likely their big win over jonah in their uh feud with him and well you know, there there is going to be a, a rematch of this match um ah. film filmed this thursday for the rivals tour because i feel like once what this is telling me is that like once jonah gets his hands on Juice and singles, like that's it. For yeah, juice. yeah. Juice is, has been uh, teasing that he wants to the body slam uh, Jonah, so I'm sure that's going to be probably the big angle for their eventual singles match. <laughs> uh, so then, this coming up Saturday, we will have uh, the next US of J Open Challenge, and this is a AEW wrestler. If you haven't seen it by now, who it is? It spoilers are out there. I won't spoil it for you if you want to stay surprised. Um, I thought you were going to tell everybody. I was like, dang, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we'll have uh, Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser, taking on uh, Gabriel Kidd, who's been uh, showing some real uh, dickhead energy lately. Um, this should be a, a pretty fun matchup here. 
And then the show will open with uh, Ricky Gibson and Eddie Pearl taking on Kevin Knight and the DKC. Yeah, uh, looks very good. The two singles matches are very, very enticing. I've heard great things about them, and I can't wait to actually watch with my own eyes. Yeah. Uh, Lions War Episode 6. Did you get a chance to uh, watch this one? Yep, I just watched that tonight. Um, thought the, the episode was very interesting. They're getting ready to host their first ever live match showcase, you know, uh, student showcase type wrestling show. Yeah, it was pretty cool um, just seeing that they're actually going to get ready for that. I didn't know if we're going to get any kind of like actual wrestling on the show. I'm not sure how they're going to show that next week, but. Yeah, a lot of this episode was in preparation for that kind of big show. Showed them, you know, setting the ring up, and this was a ring that like Fale had helped build, and they had the canvas from the G1 2016, where uh, Kenny won the, the G1. Um, and so there's some cool sequences of those guys kind of uh, practicing, doing some spots uh, towards the end. He's kind of having fun doing some some matches, and yeah, uh, another good episode. They focus on. Um, one of the guys, I forget his name now, but he has a bad shoulder, and so he's uh, been mainly kind of cooking the food. He he was a chef, so he's been doing a lot of the cooking and trying to help the guys out. He's been doing some of the workouts still with his busted shoulder, uh, but um, he's 35, and you know he's in you know the later end there, trying to get started at 35 with, uh, with a bad shoulder. So a lot of focus was on him, and um, you know the whole like, running up the stairs thing that they were doing. So. Again, if you're not watching Lions Roar, it's another very fun episode, and I'm just curious to see how they're, if they're actually going to show the matches next week or it's going to be like highlights, but it's going to be cool to see what some of these guys can do. Yeah. Uh, one thing, too, I noticed with the episode, there was a lot of – you mentioned the one individual that was injured, but they, they talked about how uh, there were like three, four, maybe even five guys in their unit that were currently injured, including Michael Richards, and uh, I, I like I was just thinking, like, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all with what they've shown us from a physicality standpoint, the kind of training they've done mm-hmm. um, that injuries would occur. And, you know, uh, they even were kind of coy and blase about it. Uh, There's a point where, like, uh, Folly is just like, yeah, as hard as these guys are going, like, you know, injuries are going to happen. Right. So, I mean, um, you know, just kind of goes to show you like the toughness and uh, physicality that these guys are enduring at this point in the, the camp. Yeah. I'm definitely curious to see just kind of how this whole series is going to play out. Like we kind of mentioned, like what's going to happen at the end here, who's going to get to go to, you know, be, I guess students, finalized students of the dojo and then eventually move on to Japan. So. We'll yeah. See. And I mean, at that point too, like if we know the winner on a more intimate level after seeing them like develop through the show, you know, there's there's investment there when they actually make their debut. Yeah, definitely. So, um, besides that, just two quick uh, news items here. Uh, Tamatonga has announced that he has re-signed with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, you know, it came out that his contract was up. So he was a uh, a free agent for a day, but he has signed a, a new contract and is a uh, will be with New Japan for a bit. And then uh, the access match this week will be John Moxley versus Juice Robinson from the Best of the Super Junior Finals. The, the match that broke Juice Robinson and the match that elevated John Moxley uh, in New Japan. Yeah, this is a 
you know, wound up being a pretty pivotal moment in the history and trajectory of New Japan. Yeah, for, for, and for both guys, yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you've never seen it, highly recommend it. I, I, this might even stand the test as my favorite John Moxley New Japan match. Yeah, this is a great match. Everything about this match was just so awesome, and you know the whole like, build up of the whole Death Rider videos, and it finally being announced that it was Moxley, and then then Juice cutting his hair and trying to be more serious, and the way these guys were like fighting each other in this match was just awesome. Can you imagine in twenty twenty two there was a time where someone was you know doing vignettes for their debut, and the guy that they were calling out was Juice Robinson. <laughs> no, he 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 mattered that much at at one point. He was like a you know a guy that was on the cusp. Yeah, it's weird. So uh, we have some questions here, and then we'll recommend the match of the week, and we'll wrap things up here. So a uh, question here from No Alarms, nineteen ninety five. Who do you guys think are potential favorites for the New Japan Cup? Huh. Well, it's a little early. Um, I still you know kind of want to see how everything plays out with this. Uh, this tour, but right now, one of my early favorites is Great Okan, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, with the way he's been racking up singles victories um, over this tour, and especially now he's being a little bit more established, guys like um, Hanma and Kojima and Tenzon, and last year he got the big upset over Naito, uh, so I could definitely see Great Okan making a run for it. Um, they've done Okan and Okada before, but it wasn't a title match, and it was a very short match, and there was nothing to it. So I definitely think there's a, a better match to have with those guys and a story to tell there. Well, you know, if our assumption is correct that Okada's not dropping the title anytime soon, then this this year's New Japan Cup isn't about establishing someone that's, uh, you know, going to carry the strap for a few months or anything like that. So basically you've got two outcomes. They can either set up a new challenger you know for okada so okada can beat them but like they have that distinction i was a new japan cup winner that's their you know winning the titles isn't their big prize it's like being pushed at that level or they could try and put him against a known commodity someone that he's drawn with in the past because he's going to beat them anyways right so you could do you could do a sonata or tanahashi or something like that but i'm hoping that they go the opposite way and like, yeah, to me, just on paper, it seems to be the the guy that I'd probably pick. I think they should go with Great Okan and set him up as the next challenger who loses in a you know on a big stage. Yeah, I mean that that would probably be the best thing to try and elevate somebody. Um, I wouldn't count uh, Shingo out like I mentioned earlier. You know, he failed to win the cup last year, made it to the final. I think he's a guy. That, they want to run back Shingo Okada um, in, a, in a big matchup again this year. I think they could do that. Um, there's yeah, also- he falls on that like second uh, scenario throughout there. Someone that you know you can do the match already because Okada's going to win. So there's any number of guys that he's already wrestled before that he's shown he can draw with that they could do. Right, and there's also a uh, Kota Ibushi sitting on the sideline. We don't know his status. Oh, yeah. I mean, he could come back, win the cup, and we get that rematch with Okada Ibushi and redo that G1 final match that we were supposed to get before Ibushi uh, got hurt. And a big Does cut- Okada bring the uh, V4 belt out with him? <laughs> I think he put that to rest, but, you know, Ibushi would get a chance to uh, redeem himself there. 
it, it's better when I can see the brackets and then I can at least work out in my mind what's going to happen. So once we have an announcement of the talent involved in the brackets, I'll probably have a more just like definitive answer. Yeah. But right now that's, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to think of all the, the possibilities and the guy that screams, you know, elevate me is great. O'Con. Yeah. Uh, next question here from fit beautiful two, six, three, eight. I love Young Lion on Excursion Talk, and you really answered who's your favorite. So I'll ask a different question on this topic. Which Young Lion on Excursion currently do you expect back in Japan on the main roster first? Hikaleo, Shota, Carl, Ren, Clark, Gabe, or Alex? Um, I mean, it could be Hikaleo, but like, I, I don't know if they're planning to do some sort of graduation for him down the road as far as the character goes. I don't know. Maybe show to Umino. Yeah, out of those, um, I don't know. I feel like because you know, Kib, Gabe Kib was there in Japan last year, so I'm assuming his visa is good or in a working standard. So I actually, and with the run he's been on lately, I can probably see Gabe Kib coming in first. Yeah, because I mean, hmm, yeah, that's possible. Uh, next question here from Lobster Brisket. What are your thoughts on Gabriel Kidd and other LA Dojo wrestlers taking offense to Daniel Garcia's tribute to Shibata and the branding of AEW's four pillars? Um, I mean, I'm hoping that this is just them um, being savvy and building uh, anticipation and, and desire for people to see them wrestle guys like Daniel Garcia or, you know, people from AEW. And I hope it's not them just being prissy little bitches and actually getting worked. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've been seeing a lot of tweets from these guys and Gabe Kidd's been the main one and he's been on radio, radio interviews kind of talking down on these guys. Like, you know, we, we've actually been through the LA dojo and wrestled these guys that you guys are trying to pretend to be like, and learn the ways of these guys. And you want to be four pillars and four killers and, Obviously, I mean, Garcia uh, and Kevin Blackwood and some of these other guys that they're calling out are working with strong tapings. Um, so maybe this is building to a Gabe Kid garcia match or L.A. Dojo versus some of these guys like Garcia and, and Utah and uh, Moriarty and Kevin Blackwood and doing some kind of cool feud with these you know, young talents. It could also just be them getting their name out there and getting people excited about the prospect of dream matches and talking about them. And that's good for their profile, even if the match isn't going to happen tomorrow, you know? Yeah. But if it's like a thing where they're actually upset, (laughs) then it's not us who are getting worked. It's them who are working themselves into a shoe. And that would be stupid. So I hope it's just them being very smart and savvy and, you know, working the media and getting their name out there. Yeah. And he says, on a related note, how do you feel the LA Dojo crew is getting over with the Western fans? Coughlin has excelled, but guys like Fredericks and Connor seem to draw a lot of flack from the IWC. I don't even know who the IWC is anymore. <laughs> is he just talking about like people on Twitter? I don't even know where where in the internet wrestling community is it on the chat boards? I mean we, we all we, we all have the internet now so I mean I mean yeah. that, that term IWC is kind of dated but 
I guess maybe yeah, I, haven't, I haven't heard of the IWC since like 2013. <laughs> so so maybe maybe on Reddit some of these guys I haven't really seen a lot of people. I've seen, actually I've heard a lot of downward talk on Fredericks just because he's kind of hasn't done anything lately to really impress or stand out. Um, besides that, I really haven't seen a ton of flack being thrown at these guys. Yeah, I I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. But uh, as far as like people getting over with the Western fans i mean i think to the diehards which are the people in the west watching new japan they love them as far as like getting seen and known by like your more broad western audience i uh i think that they still kind of need to be exposed to them first yeah yeah, and I think they're doing a great job on Strong and kind of giving these a lot of these guys they've gotten their kind of key feuds. You know, Coggins was feuding with Kratos and Clark Harnes with TJP. Uh, Fredericks had some stuff with Team uh, Team Filthy and Tom Waller earlier last year. Um, and so, yeah, they're doing a good job with these guys. You know, Gabe Kidd, um, he's back now, and he's been feuding with guys. So I think it's going to take time as they tour and go to different cities and and get over being featured on some of the bigger stuff like WrestleMania weekend and um, like the Windy City kind of stuff, I think will help elevate these guys. Yeah. And I mean, you can even have them work other companies as well now that they're graduated. We've seen them like show up in Red Pro. <laughs> Who's to say they don't show up in like, uh, say, Impact or, you know, AW or something like that? Yeah. And speaking of like wrestling other places, I did uh, went back and I watched the Gabe Kid um, Akira match, uh, Francisco Akira, uh, from. That was awesome! Oh right? my gosh, bro, that match was so good. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, so next question here from Crazy Chris: Any rumors of a Kota Ibushi return, and how would you book his twenty twenty two? We I haven't heard anything about his return anytime soon. I think the last thing I heard Meltzer say was that his return was taking longer than was expected, but that hopefully they're expecting pretty soon he'd be back. Yeah, that's what I heard last from Meltzer also. Um, so who knows exactly when he'll be ready. I mean, how I would book him, I think a lot of when he comes back, it all needs to be you know a redemption story and trying to get back at Okada, trying to get back in the G1 finals, trying to get back the world title. That he lost on his first, or actually, his, was that his first defense or second defense of it? It was his first defense, right? Um, it was his first defense of the New belt. world title, yeah. even though he'd already defended the double gold. Right. So, yeah, you know, trying to get that belt back. There's a, there's a lot of redemption stories to do. Like, there's a whole like, redemption arc of Ibushi that needs to be done. So, I think you could do that and ha- trying to have him work his way back up the top. Yeah, I mean... It, it's tough because we don't know exactly when he's going to come back. And, you know, based on the level of achievement that he's had in the G1, I think it's highly likely that him being a finalist or a winner of the G1 ever again is very doubtful. So it's like, you know, typically if you were talking about someone coming back that needs to sort of be rehab, the G1 might be a viable candidate for them to headline the Dome. But I just don't see him as being a guy that could ever do it again because, you know, the, how many people have gone to the finals five times in a row, you know? Right. That that would be insane. Right. So that whole thing's kind of out the, out of the, you know, he'll probably still do good in G1s, but, like, you don't even have that as a booking crutch anymore. Right. And so it's like, I don't know. I don't know what you do with him. I He does need to go on some sort of redemption, like you mentioned, but 
I could see him also getting into personal feuds on a high level with other guys. That might be interesting stuff with him and Shingo, um, him and Jay White potentially. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Rainbow. Osprey. Yeah, Osprey. Yeah. Uh, Rainbow and Sam Pig asks, how long until Cody Rhodes returns to Bullet Club and joins House of Torture? <laughs> um, yeah, show's gone kind of long. I don't have a in in me to have a, a full length discussion about Cody like I did when we first started. But uh, <laughs> you know, I will say this: um, the reports. If you guys didn't know, spoiler alert: Cody Rhodes is no longer an EVP with AEW. In fact, he doesn't even wrestle there anymore. And the expectations are that he's going to resign and return to WWE, as crazy as that sounds. The, the news just dropped today. So, or at, you know, today as of the time of this recording. Um, he's probably going back to WWE, but I could potentially see Cody Rhodes working for New Japan again, especially if, like, the WWE stuff didn't work out. We've seen how they bend over backwards, New Japan, that is, mm-hmm. for ex-WWE guys, big stars from the West like that. And um, he has already worked for this company before, had a lot of success, is familiar with the system. I don't expect it, but I wouldn't be surprised if down the road Cody did work for New Japan again. Right. I mean, that'd be a name that could get them buzz uh, here in the West and for their U.S.-based shows. But the hard thing is, like, I don't think he'd be able to get over to Japan anytime soon. I have a hard time seeing them pay him a lot of money to, to work on strong right now so well that's true but it's also 2022 weird things are happening in wrestling so you just never know yeah but i, I pretty much agree and uh rich Latta, a similar question saying excited for Cody to return to new japan i don't think he is um <laughs> <laughs> uh, MJ does PR says, can you guys talk about Gabe Kidd's new attitude and approach? Man, they're talking wildness about all sorts of people, Garcia, FTR, Jay White, and I'm very here for it. Yeah, it's been kind of hard to keep up with because I've seen so many people posting different clips and I don't know if they're all from the same interview or just different media that he's been doing. But, uh, you know, I I do like Gabe Kidd, uh, you know, kind of having a take no prisoners attitude. So that's cool. But some, I don't know. Some of the clips I listened to were also kind of whiny a little bit. Yeah. It kind of goes into that, like, Osprey territory of, like, all right, you're just saying, like, st- yeah. stupid stuff now. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that wouldn't be the first time I've ever said that about Gabe Kidd. You know how I feel about his promos already. Right. <laughs> this is one of those instances where, like, somebody needs to, like, you know, give him the Iggy and just kind of, like, lean it, like, rein him in a, <laughs> rein in a little bit. <laughs> Give him the Iggy, that's funny. <laughs> uh, so, uh, next question here from the Dark Skulder. He says, I think I'm going crazy. I heard voices in my head during the Okada Osprey match of this Wrestle Kingdom. It went like this Okada, why are you like this? Osprey, because I hate you. Okada, you don't hate me. We're buddies. Osprey, we're not. We're rivals. Okada, what? No, we ain't. We're chaos. Why aren't you <laughs> wrestling for the junior title against Kushida? <laughs> Osprey, I left Chaos a year and a half ago. Okada, impossible. You should talk for Punky 3K about your attitude. Maybe I should bring in White and Nakamura too. Osprey, dot, dot, dot. You heard that conversation too, right? No, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, nice little shout out, you know, Okada's poor leadership of uh, Chaos. Yeah, he never knows who is in Chaos, including the guy he's wrestling. He thinks it's a 
you know, a match built off of um, mutual respect and, and, you know, mentorship, but it's not like <laughs> it's, it's literally a grudge match. They're in totally different factions. Years have gone by. He has, he doesn't even realize that Will's not even in the group anymore. <laughs> Uh, then the last couple questions here from Hawaiian Punch BV. Did you check out the rematch between Izzy and Bobby Knuckles? How did you score it? Did you think that both of them are head and shoulders above the rest of the division? Um, so funny thing, I did plan to watch this uh, past weekend's UFC, but I fell asleep during the show and I kept waking up at like intermittent parts while it was like playing. So like I woke up and I saw like uh, Tuivasa like knock out Derek Lewis, which was nuts. And I went right back to sleep. Then I like woke up and Izzy had just like won the fight. Um, so I, I don't know what happened. I, I guess I need to go back and watch it. But I, you know, I do think these are the top two guys in the division. So I agree with that. Uh, I didn't score the match because I didn't watch it. But I've heard the funny thing is like I've got a few friends that I really trust. They were like Adesanya won, no doubt. But a lot of publications had a. Robert Whitaker winning the fight. So I don't know. I guess I have to see it for myself because I don't know what happened. Did you watch UFC this weekend? I did not catch it this, this weekend. I did hear uh, Meltzer reviewing it on Sunday. This It went to a decision. Uh, Meltzer was saying, yeah, Izzy clearly won. Like There was a couple rounds that might have gone to Whitaker, but it, it was very clear that um, Izzy won majority of the rounds. And won the I'll decision. tell you one thing. I think Meltzer's a terrible like judge of MMA. I... Anytime he tells me something about a fight, I don't even listen to it. Like, because there's been so many times where he's been flat out wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, sometimes I don't, I don't know any better. So, but it sounded like he's kind of in a consensus with a lot of the other people, though. Uh, I'll have to check it out because I've seen a lot of um, people that were saying that Robert Whitaker won. So I don't know, but uh, yeah, I never trust Meltzer when it comes to scoring fights. And his last question here, thoughts on the long-awaited grudge match of Kell Brook versus Amir Khan. Who do you got, and how do you think the fight would have gone if it took place during their primes? I was not aware that they're actually doing this fight. That's pretty crazy. Uh, for those that don't know, Kell Brook and Amir Khan are both former uh, welterweight champions and uh, big, big, big UK boxing stars. So, like, if they did fight, it would be, like, an all-UK battle, which is... You know, when that happens, it's big business over there. Uh, it doesn't happen all that often. So um, as far as this fight goes, I don't know. I haven't seen Amir Khan and Kelbrook fight in quite a while. But I would have to assume Kelbrook. I'd heard he'd had, like, eye issues and stuff like that. So provided he's um, recovered from some of that, I feel like he should be able to beat Amir Khan at this stage. Um, but in their primes, I don't know. I feel like I would probably have given the edge to Amir Khan with how fast he was and how great of a combo fighter, you know, puncher he was. But um, I don't know. I guess I'll have to look into this one. But, yeah, I think I've got Kelbrook probably. Nice. Well, let's end real quick here with recommended match of the week. So last week you recommended Ultimo Dragon versus Chindra Otani. From August 4th, 1996, uh, G196 for the J-Crown semifinal matchup. And this match was freaking awesome. This is a match that could happen today, and it would fit right in. Um, just to, be better yeah, than a lot of it. Yeah, this is the story of the match, and like Ultimo trying to get the La Montreal and 
um, Otani uh, trying to submit Ultimo and just some of the, the spots they were doing. I mean, Otani with his springboard uh, spinning wheel kick, just so beautiful, and all his springboards. And we talked about this when we did the final countdown. It's the way he springboard was like it's very unique, and he had a, a lot of great offense there. And the crowd was so into this match. There were so many great near falls. There was one spot where like he hit the springboard drop kick. He got up, fired up, and then he hit uh, Dragon Suplex. And I thought, oh, oh he won. It's like one, two, and then Ultimo Dragon kicks out, and the crowd was so into it. And Otani was just selling the fact that, like, man, Ultimo keeps kicking out. And there's just so many great near falls in Ultimo, man, like in his prime. Like, just the way he moves is just so slick and so fast. And uh, he just, it was just a great to see, you know, classic Ultimo Dragon. And, yeah, these guys are just going back and forth with just great spots and, and great storytelling here. And, like I said, just high pace, high flying. Uh, Otani doing, um, you know, Tope con heels off the apron at the outside of Ultimo. Like, there's so many spots that would fit in to, in today's landscape of wrestling. Um, so, ulti- awesome stuff here. Ultimo Dragon um, does eventually get the win with a, a running Liger Bomb. Uh, gets the win here. And interesting, I, I noticed that Otani's foot kind of... Touched the rope for a second in the middle of the count from, from that, 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 that Liger bomb. So I think Otani was screwed here. Uh, but, you know, Ultimo does get the, get the win here. Um, wow. That's like one of the, like, lengthier reviews you've ever done. So you definitely really like this one. Yeah, this, um, it was awesome. <laughs> what? Uh, where are you looking at, uh, you know, star ratings-wise? Uh, four and a quarter, four and a half. Uh, somewhere, probably more four and a half, somewhere in that range. Nice. Well, let's um, let's see what do you got for me this week. So this week, since uh, Switchblade has been you know the big man in the news for uh, New Japan, I figured we go back to uh, some young line action. So we're gonna be watching Jay White versus Naomi Marafuji, May nineteenth, twenty sixteen, Lionsgate Project Two. Yeah. Um. I'm pretty positive I've never seen this. I'm assuming it's when Jay White was a lion. Yep, he's a, he's a young lion. All right. Well, definitely I will check that out. Uh, hopefully it's a little treat of a hidden gem there. Yeah, I mean, Jay was a good young lion. You got Marifuji. It's, uh, I believe it's the main event of this Lionsgate project show. Uh, so that's about 17 minutes. So Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us this week here on Keeping It Strong Style. Next, we'll be back to review the end of the Golden Series Tour. If you enjoyed this show, please consider making it a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com. Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Just keeping a strong style. Email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. And I think they'll be back again for a second time this week with their year end awards. We have the Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati. They just started season three of Lucha Underground. All things elite with Floyd and Austin. They dropped uh, emergency audio today to go over the Cody Road news. So you can check that out. And then the AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam 
Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.